This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. Yes, you made it through the weekend. Congratulations. Thank you. Boy, we got a big group today. Wow, the tour is here. Thank you. Thank you. Sit down, everybody. Is that what your standing ovation was like the other day? Yes. What a great uh, life we've got. I'm telling you. The NCAA tournament, one of the greatest things ever. Teams are dropping like flies. My wife shared with me another huge upset. She's from Reno and apparently Nevada. Nevada. Yeah. It was a huge upset. Huge. So we might actually start watching basketball. Really? I think they only have a couple of games left if they continue yeah, to win. Well, they're in the sweet. What are they in the sweet, sweet sixteen? Mm-hmm. And uh, not to brag, but my bracket is killing it. Really? Yeah, I'm in the top 150 thousand brackets. So you weren't here Friday. I had a discussion with Spencer and Jerem about the bracket, and I said I know nothing about basketball. And they said then you should have filled one out because yes. those are the people that you that score. routinely do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did really well, and you know, not to brag, but. <laughs> I've got, I think I've got uh, uh, nine out of the Sweet 16. Really? I, I picked correctly. Wow. Which is amazing because everyone just got, I, mine weren't number one picks either. I picked a lot of other teams, but it's just random. It's random luck. You guys saw me here picking, doing my picks. In fact, one of mine was I was flipping a coin or spinning a pen, basically. So you got it, it in was that random, but that random one I I didn't get in in time. Oh, it took too long to spin the pen. But you got it in under the wire. It sounds like yeah, I did two of them. Okay, so that's really good news going on. By the way, did you hear about Ivanka and Jared's helicopter? They were no. flying from Washington to New York, and their helicopter engine, one of their engines, you know, pooped out. And these are not the helicopters that like hit each other that you showed me no, the video no, that, for. These are different ones. Okay, <laughs> those the ones that hit each other. Those aren't fun. For anybody. But, uh, yeah, Ivanka, but they're okay. They've had, you know, you're not, you're not guaranteed for, to have a painless life if you're a Trump. Or if you're anybody. Sadly, uh, Don's son, Don Jr.'s filing for divorce, I guess, from his I wife. I did read that. Ivanka and Jared's helicopters having problems. Daddy Trump uh, seems to be firing a lot of people. Wrong. Oh, thought he was. I thought he was. So we'll be talking with Joe Cannon about what's going on politically. Is is uh, the president going to fire Mueller? He, boy, did you hear what uh, what's his name said? Who's our great senator from South Carolina? Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham said, "Don't you dare! You fire you fire Mueller. It's the beginning of the end of your presidency." What? Huh? He's a, he's a member of the GOP. The GOP. He's a gopper. Right, but if you do remember, Trump did put his cell phone out there for all the nation to call <laughs> Lindsey Graham. And Lindsey had to get a new cell phone number. Yeah. He had that commercial where he was tossing his cell phone up and hitting it with a baseball bat. Yeah. Yeah. So those were good times. They have a history. Yeah. That was way back in the more innocent time of 2015. <sighs> do you remember those days? It was great. Do you remember those days? But- I remember them as if they were three years ago. Yeah. That's about right. 
But do you remember how nothing was going on with um, with North Korea? Hmm. And now there's all this talk of stuff going on with North Korea, where they may even release possibly three American hostages. Well, wow. not hostages, but yeah. detainees. Political prisoners of some sort. This is crazy. What's happening to us? I don't know. Communication works sometimes. Does it? Mm, sometimes. Are you saying that the the white the Trump White House is communicating to a level that we're they're now freeing? Well, no, because the the hostages being released, I believe that's going through Sweden. Yeah. So we're we're involved, but we're talking to Sweden, people Sweden's not in North Korea. Job. Yeah. Um, North Korea actually pretty surprised that uh, President Trump actually wants to talk. Yeah. When the the offer was accepted, there was a a collective huh. Who? To us? Who? What? Yeah. Then they started dusting off like conference room tables and stuff like that. You know, got to prepare. It's like when your spouse asks you for some feedback and you're like, huh? What? Me? You you want my opinion? Are you talking to me? I'd love to. What do you want to know? Yes, that color looks good on you. Yeah. And then slide back into non-opinion. Mm-hmm. Because truly in a marriage, I think it's safer to not have an opinion. Really? At times. It's good to be a sounding board. Mm. Listening more than talking. Hmm. That's great advice. Which works because then you can <laughs> kind of slip into not listening, but it sounds like you're you're being supportive. I don't know. They're pretty mm. good at figuring out when you're not listening. Well, yeah. Because you're not commenting, which they don't want you to do in the but first place. There's about a minute and a half of where everyone's sort of confused there where you can have like some area of opportunity. Yeah. So just a tip. Just a tip from you two. <laughs> I get cut all the get. time. Do you? Well, it's, sometimes Seeming it's like I'm not listening. This I, I don't know why. This, we always break into this conversation right after the weekend. Hmm. I don't know why. We spend well, more time. That's true. Together. Yeah. We don't know what to do with all that time. We had a lot of time together as a family. Because <clears throat> my son um, had his report on his LDS mission. Hmm. So then we had a lot of extended family over. Mm. It was great. Really? Families are awesome. We had a great day. And then we watched the movies and I all, you know, they were really good. How do Which you, ones? Um, Which ones? Just can't really talk about them. How do you kick oh, the- Oh, I see. How do you, in a nice way, kick the family out when it's over? Well, you know what? By four o'clock, they were all gone. Oh, Nice. So then I got to just sit with my family. I always hear the horror story of the uncle that will never leave. Maybe there was like a basketball game going on? There, there, were, there were some games going That's on. That's right. Mm. But, yeah, I, I can't talk about the movies we watched, not because they were inappropriate, but just because I don't, you know, don't want everyone to know. Oh. You have an image to keep up. And when you're watching like Smurfs 2, it just doesn't fit. It's le- there was stuff involving grandchildren, our grandchild. <laughs> And it just, yeah, I've got an image of being like a, a you know, a tough man. Okay. No judging. No judging. I secretly wanted to go see the Goosebumps movie, but couldn't figure out a way to justify going to see it by myself as yeah, a 30-plus-year-old. No. That's kind of creepy. That's why there needs to be a service of Rent-A-Kid. No. Where you can just, in no. an emergency, break the glass, and you can no. go see a movie you want to see, and you bring this kid with you. You're not with them, but it looks good. Because you have to have the kid <laughs> or else you look creepy showing up to a movie that's not for adults. I think if you, after we're done and I'm interviewing Joe, why don't you go rewind this show <laughs> I understand. and listen to yourself it doesn't talk sound, about rending a it kid. It doesn't sound right, but, you know, 
It's it's better if you uh, have your own. By the way, especially when in the news, there's a 45 year old man that well, kidnapped a 16 year old girl. I understand. Got her in Cancun. It's, they got him in Cancun. They got him. That's just sick. Sick. Hmm. Not that you're. But we're talking that. goosebumps no, but, here. Yeah. Like, it's know, goosebumps. If you want to see a movie made for kids and you're an adult, how no, do totally, you... no, totally. Okay. That's why. That's why the digital world's so awesome. Right. Just wait till it's on. Just download it. <laughs> download it later. Just download it on the web. Okay, let's get to the rest of the headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? An explosion in southwest Austin, Texas, Sunday evening sent two men in their 20s to the hospital with serious but non-life-threatening injuries. It appears to be the latest explosion in a string of package bombs in recent weeks in Austin that have left two dead. Authorities on Sunday night asked residents who live in the area to stay in their homes, follow police instructions. The explosions came on the same day interim police chief Brian Manley called on the perpetrator of their earlier bombings to come forward and share their message. There's been no, like, what, what's the point of this? You just blow them. Usually there's some sort of, a, yeah. like, demands or I have Manifesto. some something, but there's none of that. So they're so, terrified in Austin. The incident was different with the bombings being on the other side of the city from the other from the original bombings. Right, there was the original yeah. two or three bombings yeah. that was on one side of the city. This is on the other side of the this city. This was just on the side of the road, though, right? And this was uh, possibly, they're saying, some sort of tripwire stretched across the street. So these guys are walking by or riding by on their bikes. No way. It explodes. Shrapnel hits them, and they end up in the hospital. And Jeez. so it's, uh, the whole motive, you know, the MO is all different, yeah. but it's another explosion in Austin. It's scary. Uh, Representative Trey Gowdy of South Carolina urged President Donald Trump and his lawyer on Sunday to stop flailing at special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation and to let the probe continue unimpeded. He goes, when you are innocent, act like it, Gowdy said on Fox News. When asked about Trump's repeated Twitter attacks on Mueller, whose probe has become increasingly perilous to the president and his inner circle, if you've done nothing wrong... You should want the investigation to be as fulsome and thorough as possible. That's a great point. Just let it go. And by the way, Trey Gowdy would know yeah. if you're if you're in court and you're innocent, act like it. If you don't, then people think you're guilty yeah. because you're doing what he's doing. And he looks kind of guilty because he wants this thing to end and get Mueller out of here. Right? Senator John McCain is defending the special counsel investigation on Russian interference after a series of tweets from Donald Trump. This, by the way, the first time Trump's mentioned Mueller by name, by tweet. He's just always called it the investigation. Oh, He's never really? actually mentioned yeah. Mueller. And this well, week, well, maybe that means that like they're closing in on and it. And if you remember, on Thursday they announced that there were subpoenas sent to the Trump uh, organization to look into their fi- uh, family financials, yeah. which probably causes more stress. Uh, the Arizona Republican John McCain wrote on Twitter Sunday, calling it critical that Robert Mueller be allowed to complete his investigation. And he also used the word unimpeded, so that may be a talking point from some Republican yeah. group because everyone unimpeded. says the same thing. By the way, there was a picture of uh, Megan McCain. Is that her name? The daughter? Yeah. With Mr. McCain, with Senator McCain. Mm. And oh, I miss that guy. Well, he's we, in the hospital. I know. We need him. We need somebody. Yeah. Something like that. Did you see somebody came out and said, boy, the Republicans sure are. Uh, oh, it was uh, Skiff, Stiff, Spriff. Schiff. Schiff. The, he's the Democrat on the yeah. House Intelligence Committee that's yeah. continuing the investigation. It's like, even man, though- a lot of Republicans. We, we need more flakes. We need more. Um, we need more McCain's. Mm-hmm. 
They're all just kind of doing carrying the water. Kind of push back a little bit. Hmm. Uh, news over the weekend. This is it's kind of in depth, kind of confusing, but the the brief, broad brush strokes over yeah. this. The Observer of London and the New York Times reported that Cambridge Analytica, a data company which advised the Trump campaign on targeting voters, harvested fifty million American Facebook profiles for electioneering, which what? is considered a major data breach. Now, over the weekend, what? Facebook sued the Observer of London, calling it, no, it's not a data breach. This is this is just misuse of information. Because oh. data breach would show that oh. they don't have control they, over they it. They didn't lose the data. They just misused the so data. So Facebook tried to sue to stop the story from being published. That was published anyways. Alexander Nix, the director of SCL Group, a British political and def- uh, defense contractor and chief executive of its American offshoot, Cambridge Analytica. wow, yeah. Mr. Nix testified before the British Parliament last month and was asked about Russia. British Parliament is very concerned about the Brexit vote that this was also part of, this Cambridge Analytica SCO group. Did the create the Brexit vote? That's what they're asking. He goes, he did not hesitate. He said, we've never worked in Russia, said Mr. Nix. But Mr. Nix's business did have some dealings with Russian interests. According to a company documents and interviews, the firm's employees who overlap, so both companies, Cambridge yeah. Analytica in the United States, SCL in Britain, according to documents, uh, the firm's employees between 2014 and 2015 met with executives from Luke Oil, the Russian oil giant. Luke Oil was interested in how data was used to target American voters, according to two former company insiders who said there were at least three meetings with Luke Oil executives in London and Turkey. This is being wow. denied by SCL, but documents are showing they had these meetings. Um, so they show up, and this, there's a, a guy named Christopher Wiley. He's the guy that reported that there was these 50 million accounts. Yeah. They were misused, so he's kind of the whistleblower in all this. He helped found Cambridge Analytica, and he, had, he goes, I don't, he kept asking the questions. I remember being super confused. I don't understand why Luke Oil, a Russian oil company, wants to know about political targeting in America. Yeah. Why do they want to know how we target Americans for political purposes on Facebook? What's an oil company worried about that for? That's a great... And no one ever answered the question. By the way, uh, how do you say Luke Oil in Russian? Luke Oil? Yeah. It's probably like Luke. Luke. I... Let me do some research. Okay. I'm probably saying it wrong. In the end, Facebook users are slowly learning that what that others can use Facebook to collect detailed information about them, and that at least some of the time, Facebook cannot control where this information flows. Facebook has suspended Cambridge Analytica and this SCO group oh, in Britain wow. from using it. So Facebook, 50 million people, your information was used in some way. Not a leak. They didn't. I mean, they, it's not they a breach. They didn't breach. They just misused it. They misused so, it somehow. I'm pretty sure oil is masla, but Luke, masla. Luke would just be Luke Masla. Yeah. So what's a Russian oil company looking into political data from Facebook for? Because it's owned by one of the oligarchs, yeah. and that's how he well, worked. It was through an oligarch. That's what by the, way, the theory Putin, is. Putin was reelected. Yeah. It was Amidst a, a, accusations a, of ballot stuffing and all kinds of pressure a ne- tactics. But a narrow and, margin, 75% of the vote. And there were seven people running, and he got 70% of the vote. And 60-something percent of the country turned out to vote. And somebody said, this sounds like it's fixed, one of the candidates. <laughs> <laughs> These numbers sound too good. Finally, there's a new trend in engagement rings. Why? Maybe something you, you'll be dealing with yeah. as you deal with the backside of maybe the problems of Pardon? marriage. What? The marriage. The Once it, you get to the end of the, you know, you get the oh, married part. Like the, yeah, like the the marriage. If this stuff the, starts going the off the, the rails, sure. this may be something that has to be resolved. It's good. 
That's a good point. So instead of a diamond ring around your finger, people are starting to get the, the diamond embedded in their fingers. Come again? Yeah. This is from WCBS in New York. He goes, we noticed lately a lot of people coming in looking for that, says Sam Abbas, who performs the service in the West Village. He says, uh, Abbas says, there could be problems if the person doesn't take care of the piercing. So you take your diamond, not on the ring, but you pierce it kind of- Into your skin. Either into the finger or into the webbing. Ouch! Sort of. It's kind of a a strange uh, piercing there. Um so, it's, it's called road rash. Yeah, it's crazy. So it goes. there's a lot of problems in this kind of thing, such as you have to clean it two to three times a day. Yeah. And you have to make sure the piercing artist has experience, maybe licensed. Like not just, out of the back of their car. Uh, just some rogue person with a piercing gun. Yeah. And a uh, piercing artist makes a spot on the uh, with a pen, cleans it with alcohol and iodine, uses a tool to remove a small patch of skin, and then inserts the anchor made of titanium Ugh. or gold, which holds the gem in place. Blah. A dermatologist has consulted for the story and says they have some concerns. First of all, these procedures are not being done by a doctor, yeah. and it's a surgical procedure. There's a lot of important structures that sit right under the skin, and there's they can be easily damaged, like tendons and those sorts. Yeah. It's also the danger of the diamond snagging, because uh, it's right there on your hand, right? Diamond snag. That's sitting right <laughs> above the skin. It's easily caught on something, can do a lot of damage. She said you should uh, think carefully before going with the new trend. Healing from this kind of piercing can take up to 20 weeks. If yeah. you want the diamond removed, that's possible, but more painful than the initial piercing. Do you think they actually listen to this music while getting that body piercing? Uh, it helps. I would doubt it. It helps. I think it should, but I'm not. I'm betting we're not listening to this kind of music. So, would you recommend a ring or maybe I'd, having? I'd go a... the old-fashioned way. Okay, a go ring. with the ring. And if you can't, if you don't want a ring, I've seen people tattooing a ring on their finger because they can't oh, yes. wear a ring because you know deglove their finger. Understood. So this, of course, but is that canon. Seems horribly painful too. It does. This is canon in D by the cover group Diamond Snag. Ah, oh, Diamond Snag. When was the last time you had your diamond snag? I have to get a diamond for it to get snagged first. My, my wife has complained about that. Really? You wear your ring and just occasionally it gets caught on something. Sweaters, things of that nature. That's a great, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I don't have that problem. I just have a band. Yeah. My, um, how many rings have you gone through? It's, it's just this one. That's you the only one I've ever had. Yeah. You don't have the original? No. You're on the sequel or the... I'm, the, on, I'm on the, the threequel. Second. Yeah, I'm on the threequel. Second. Wow. Is that because you've lost the ring or lost, just upgraded? I lost the I lost the ring. Why are you taking it off? I don't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So was that a tough discussion to have? when? Not you, really well, because okay. uh, my ring was really inexpensive. Mm. Like I th- actually felt sad about it. It was quite inexpensive. <laughs> wow. So you're like, wait, I put some effort into this and you just, I don't remember. I don't remember how I even lost it, wow. but it was, it was just gone one day. And I, luckily I had a Krugerrand, if you know what that is. Mm. It's a gold coin mm. that as a child, my grandpa would always give us a really nice Christmas present. And he said, what do you want? And I didn't want anything. So I said, how about a gold coin? Mm. Because he was a coin collector. So oh. I, I got a Krugerrand. Thought he was a leprechaun or something. No. Yeah. Okay. It was a little leprechaun. <laughs> And um, then he – so I kept that coin and then as an adult, I traded my Krugerrand in for a ring. And then did you lose that one? No. Oh, maybe now I've a, that now. Maybe oh. a thief took it from you. Maybe that's where the diamond sna- – maybe he's a diamond snagger and he just snagged it from your finger. I didn't have a diamond on it. Yeah, I said it was mm-hmm. cheap. Just a gold yeah, – it was just a gold cheap band. Pipe cut they called it. Mm. 
A pipe cut? Like it literally looked like a gold pipe had just been cut. Wow. And then it, it even like was sharp and jagged on the edge. <laughs> Anywho. Wow. I digress. Hey, up next, uh, Joe Cannon will be joining us. Joe is our Washington insider. Joe in the know, we call him. We've got a lot to ask him about uh, the president, some of these firings that are going on. We're now up to 37 White House staffers that have been released from President Trump. We'll get into all of that, plus another FBI director fired. This is the Matt Townsend Show, doing what we can to understand what's going on in Washington. Time to uh, go to our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. Joe is uh, past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, currently is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, doing what he can to lower fuel costs uh, in the United States for us here. And um, But he just, he's, he's, he just knows Washington. He's been an insider forever. He doesn't claim he's an insider, but he, he knows a lot of people. And more importantly, he understands politics from the inside out. So we like to go visit him. Uh, Joe Cannon, welcome to the show. Thanks for being with us again. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. So what do you think? Man, oh man, it just seems like uh, Trey Gowdy may have hit it right on the head. Look, President, if you're so innocent, just act innocent. Just act innocent. Quit pushing Mueller out. Quit making a big stink about stuff. What do you think? Is he is he creating more problems for himself when it comes to this investigation? Well, you know, it's so hard to know. I mean, he, he is what he is. We've had this conversation now for well over a year. Uh, you know, he, he just does what he does. And I don't know that he... I mean, at some level, he must think about the consequences. But if you, if you look at this... Uh, Firing of McCabe, yeah, you know that puts a puts a lot of things in sharp relief here. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. At one level, just you could say that just let the thing go and let, let the investigation proceed. And if there's nothing there, there's nothing there. Yeah. In fact, um, th- th- that's the big thing too. Like with McCabe, if we if we kind of start there. I mean, um, Andrew McCabe, uh, he's, he's been kind of on the enemy list of the president. His wife ran uh, as a Democrat, I believe, uh, for, for Congress. Um, no, for a state. For, a state. Oh, a state. It's actually kind of important. A state legislative. Right? Oh, wow. Like a state. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and lost. But, um, but a big, I guess a bigger thing about this is he's about to receive his pension or and retire um by just all he had to do is go through this weekend then they could have fired him but now there there there's uh i guess uh there's there's some misgivings about him talk to us about wh- why why was McCabe such a problem for the president well i actually think that there are two wars going on here one is the the obvious war between Trump and the FBI in general and in this case, McCabe in particular. So you have a whole very rich tapestry of Trump tweets, A, and then you have McCabe firing back after he's fired. He he uh, has a statement clearly prepared beforehand because I think he knew what was going to happen. 
that he immediately came out with responding, you know, look, I, I'm a target. Uh, why is there war here? Uh, I acted honorably. So you have, you know, that, that war is clearly teed up. Yeah. I think undergirding this, there's a, there's another war going on and, and now I'm speculating on this, but it just appears. I've read a bunch of stories on this, uh, over the weekend. And I, if if it weren't for Trump's singling out McCabe, well, let's see, he didn't single him out, singling out certain officials of the FBI, including Comey and uh, McCabe in particular. If he hadn't done that, this other the the firing issue would still have moved forward a pace. Just so remember, in January, McCabe stepped down from his position. The FBI director, Chris Ray, then and now the FBI director, sent out an, an email to all 35,000 employees of the FBI saying that the inspector general is coming out with a report and connecting that to McCabe stepping down. Ah. So if you go back to the time in January, McCabe just, you know, uh, it looked like spontaneous combustion. You had to decide, oh, I'm going to step down. But the director of FBI said, yeah, well, he is stepping down, but there's this inspector general report. Okay, then moving forward, you know, days, weeks, not, not very much time, whatever was in that inspector general's report, we don't know. But that was some aspects of it were then handed to the Office of Professional Responsibility staffed by career people. Now, remember, the inspector general has been there for several years working in the Obama administration, I think going back to the Bush administration. Right. He is, he's worked in all administrations. The inspector general is supposed to be, and I think by and large he is, not just the FBI, but at all the agencies, nonpartisan. He's the watchdog. Yeah. So this watchdog came up with something that he felt compelled that even before he issues his report, he sends it to the Office of Professional Responsibility staff, totally by career people, and they recommended the firing. So if, okay. if there hadn't been a lot of publicity out of all this uh, caused by the president's tweets, this would have just gone in an ordinary way. And I, what I think is happening is within the department, if, anybody, if any other employee had done this, it a it wouldn't have been public. Uh, B that person would have been fired. Yeah, right. And so, yeah. So I think what's happened is inside of the FBI, they're going, well, look, this guy shouldn't be allowed to get away with whatever it is. We don't know that this report is coming out in days, weeks, months, or whenever it comes out, we'll know a lot more. But it was enough to trigger, separate from the Inspector General's report an Office of Professional Responsibility analysis, which led to a recommendation. All of this is career people to uh, the uh, attorney general yeah. to fire McCabe. So wow. anyway, it, there's, there's a lot more to this. And I think inside the FBI, they're saying, look, there was politics here. His wife ran not just she didn't just run for some political office. I mean, she ran for a, a state legislative office, House of Delegates, I think, in Virginia. She got a seven hundred 
$100,000 political contribution put together by Terry McAuliffe, mm. who's, besides being governor, his main claim to life is being a Clinton fixer. Right, right. Now, $700,000 campaign contribution for a state legislative race, even in Virginia, is an astronomical amount. Should have raised all kinds of uh, uh, warning bells because McCabe, the husband, was engaged in investigating Clinton. Not, you know, by the way, the, the activities that are uh, uh, alleged here is that McCabe was did something unlawful or unethical or against FBI procedures in connection with the Clinton investigation, not the Mueller investigation. Yeah. So I mean, there are all kinds of ironies here involved in this. But I think you're seeing a couple of wars going on. One is the FBI wants to make sure that it is as pristine as it can be. I mean, there are 35,000 employees here. Right. And But this guy obviously did something which perturbed internally. Now, then you put, unfortunately, you put that in the background of the president's tweets before and after. Um, it, it, it politicizes this. So, you know, I, I don't comment on this too much, but for most of the media is relentless in its opposition to the to Trump. Yeah. Relentless. Yeah. And so I watched the news Thursday night, Friday, Saturday. Uh, you know, it's like the, the most of the stations were trying to make this a recreation of what was known as the Saturday night massacre uh, in the Nixon years. This is all of a sudden looking like trying to make it look like Nixon trying to fire Archibald Cox. And, you know, this is all political. And there's no question there's political ramification. I'm not I'm not trying to justify or not justify the president's assault on McCabe, but there's still this other thing going on yeah. that's not that's not political, and I think that has not necessarily gotten its due on most of most of the media. It's it, it really is. It's interesting um, because we, we hear about the Russia investigation, and then you know, kind of on the conservative channels, we hear all about. The the FBI, the crooked, uh, the the dossier, the FISA courts. We hear all of these other issues. Um, do do you sense that eventually uh, the Republicans are going to start getting their own investigation? You know, going into FISA and have their own um, their their own investigator over that. I I think so, but I don't know. I mean. I know you keep calling me an insider. I, I don't know what's going on there, but I, what my sense is is that, that everyone's waiting for this inspector general report to come out. Uh, everyone on the Republican side is waiting for that, although there have already been calls for separate special investigators, special prosecutors uh, on the part of, of uh, Republican yeah. uh, members of Congress. So that's happening, but I, I don't sense that's going to catch fire unless there's something in this IG's report, Inspector General's report, that's going to, to trigger that. So I, I, I don't know. What? But there's a lot of a lot of smoke around this. I yeah. mean, you, you read these uh, these uh, email traffic that you know and tweets that are not tweets, uh, text messages of which there are thousands, but there's clearly an animosity to Trump and a favorable attitude towards Clinton 
at the highest levels of the FBI before the election. So that's clearly true, whether that's illegal, whether they did anything wrong, you know, to be determined. But it was it's it's clear just from the record of the emails and the text that there was animosity, which included McCabe and people close to McCabe. Sure, sure. So, I mean, that, that's it. Yeah, there's smoke. So there's there's got to be a fire somewhere under there. Uh, talk to us about your view of Tillerson, Rex Tillerson, uh, his dismissal and, you know, kind of the – boy, maybe just the like the way it was done is one thing. But just to some of the, the, the tension, it seems like McMaster, other people seem to be on the chopping block as well. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of this, well, first of all, there's been an enormous turnover. I mean, people say there's turnover in every administration, and there is. And it does take a while to settle in, I'll say, to the cabinet that every president wants to have. Not having said that, there's an excessive amount of turnover in this administration, and I don't think that, that can be denied. In the case of Tillerson, I mean, it's kind of sad. I mean, here's Tillerson is a is a you know a pretty amazing guy. I I don't know him, but one of our board members is was quite close of, of our foundation was quite close to Tillerson, and uh, you know says he's just a great guy, a decent yeah. guy. I think you have two two problems here. Again, the the problem is he never gelled with Trump. He just never gelled with Trump. And that that actually often happens, but it doesn't often happen as it's as public as where the president is tweeting out things that undermine yeah. the secretary of state. So, I mean, directly saying, yeah, I'm sorry, Rex, I'm not with you on this one. Well, what that does, it, it may be true in the, the narrow policy context of that, whatever the tweet was or tweets, but what that does is it undercuts Tillerson's ability or the secretary's ability to speak for the president in all of these international uh, meetings. And so it, it just undercut him. But he had a separate problem. And this, this is a lot of people, a lot of people in, in the State Department and, and friends I do know in the State Department just felt like Tillerson never got control of the department uh, the way that that he should have, and so I don't know. It it just it it was a mixed. It, it was never going to work. The stars were crossed mm. from the very beginning on that one. Oh, interesting. And, and it's sad because I think Tiller, Tillerson's just a uh, you know he's a, a super smart, dedicated. <clears throat> I mean, if you watched his farewell, how could you not have just tremendous empathy for yeah. him? I mean, he was on the verge of tears. He clearly loved that job, wanted to to succeed, but he wasn't succeeding with his boss. His boss never gelled with him. And then he might have also had other administrative issues within the department. So it's it's just that episode. Well, and he's a a guy that's so successful, too. I mean, he only – he knows success. He knows how to make something work. It just – he didn't have – it didn't seem like all the controls he needed. Right, or the support of the president. Yeah, right, so, I mean, that's that, right. Yeah. That, undermined, that, that didn't just undermine him with, you know, internationally. It undermined him uh, in his own department. In the department itself. Yeah, so mm. um, 
I do think now with Pompeo in there, I mean, we, that, that's a whole separate discussion about him, but uh, definitely he has the ear of the president and the president's confidence. And we'll see how long that lasts, but it's still there. And so I think he is empowered in a way that Tillerson never was, both within the department and externally to, uh, you know, to foreign powers. Yeah. I don't think anyone's questioning that he's speaking for the president. Does here's the here's the thing. Does it seems like it would be getting harder and harder for the president to get people of high quality, high caliber that would want to come in? And it, or is that not the case? Are there always people that will come in, um, even if it seems like, you know, there's 45 percent turnover rate at the White House? And it seems a yeah. lot like a lot of people may not want to go near that or just the mere fact that the president calls. Is everybody still loyal and they go? Yeah, I don't know. I, I got to believe there are people who don't want to work in the White House. They may want to work at the State Department or they may want to work, you know, in some of the departments and agencies. I just uh, will we'll just see them. I and obviously there's a round of people uh, that, that have been or will be uh, replaced. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see who ends up being the new national security advisor when and if McMaster goes. Um, it's just going to be, I mean, you, it, the well could be running dry. Yeah. Um, and and, and knowing you're going to be treated is, that is, way, right? It's tremendously exciting for some people to get to work in the White House. Yeah. Yeah, no, I th- there's there's still going to be some people that will, will flock for the opportunity. Um, when you look at it too, uh, just somebody that's already served with President Reagan um, in, in his in his um, in his uh, uh, in the EPA with him, what I mean, this is it's already a lot of pressure. It's already a lot of um, it's a lot of sacrifice. They're long days, and then you add to it kind of the method of that the president uses of uh, taking things public. And and maybe creating some of his own problems with the media, but is is this impacting the election? We saw that Pennsylvania uh, didn't go the way of the GOP. Are there real fears out there now that um, the president's going to to do even more damage in the midterm election? Well, wow. There's no question that there is enormous risk for this president in these upcoming midterm elections. And I, I think the, the Pennsylvania race what wasn't a canary in the coal mine. It was the lion outside the tent <laughs> roaring. I mean, it's not, there's no canary here. The, uh, that was a very big issue. People tried, some Republicans, well, I didn't. Some Republicans are saying, well, maybe there wasn't a good candidate. No, no. This cannot be blamed on Saccone. Yeah, The Democrats did have an attractive candidate. He did run to the right of the party. He ran to the right of Nancy Pelosi, ran specifically uh, attacking Nancy Pelosi. Very attractive candidate. Yeah. Okay, great. This should have been a no-brainer cakewalk for any Republican. So there's clearly dissatisfaction beyond the base. And what everybody's known uh, all along is that 
the base is necessary but not sufficient to get, uh, you know, to, to win these races. So, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I think that there is, I don't think, I know that there is enormous fear on the part of people, some people even close to Trump, about the um, about these midterms. And there should be. Yeah. yeah. And there should be. I mean, just just, read, just over the weekend, there was a new poll out, the, the so-called generic ballot, which you vote for a Republican or Democrat, that had been narrowing a little bit. Now it's back to double digits in favor of the Democrats. Hmm. Uh, well. So, um, yeah, no, there's there's all kinds of reasons for fear and trembling. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, if, if you're if you're a Republican, and why that matters obviously is all of the Democrats, virtually all the Democrats, have said, yeah, they're going to go for impeachment. Uh, and so whether that works or not, whether that's successful. It's just going to nothing is going to get done in the House. Very little is getting done right now. And it's going to be because remember, the House is binary. It's not like the Senate. The Senate bipartisanship even now matters to, to some degree or another. Right. In the House, whoever whoever has one extra member, they win. They get all the chairmen. They and, and there's no filibuster rule. There's no procedural stuff that the minority party could do. Mm. So it's a big, big deal. Well, Joe, we appreciate you. Uh, we hope you have a great week and uh, take care of yourself. Joe Cannon, again, is our Washington insider and uh, has a great um, organization, uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation. If you go to fuelfreedom.org, they're doing what they can to lower the fuel costs for us here in the United States. And I think that's how he just stays uh, connected as well, politically connected as well. Joe Cannon. Appreciate the time. We will continue the journey straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Um, As is uh, the custom... Terry spends all weekend, all of his free time, researching uh, actively for the Matt Townsend show. Yeah, it's called web surfing, but it just turns into that's what I do as I'm looking for stuff. You're just a surfer. It's what happens. So starting in May, Chinese citizens who rank low on the country's burgeoning uh, social credit system, social credit, will be in danger of being banned from buying plane tickets or train tickets for up to a year, according to a statement recently released by the country's National Development and Reform Commission. Wow. So with social credit systems, the Chinese government rates citizens based on things like criminal behavior and financial misdeeds, but also on what they buy, say, and do. Those with low scores have to deal with penalties and restrictions. China has been working towards rolling out a full version of the system by 2020, but some early versions of it are already in place. Previously, the Chinese government had focused on restricting the travel of people with massive amounts of debt. The new travel restrictions are the latest addition to the growing patchwork of social engineering, which has already imposed punishments on more than 7 million citizens. And there's a broad range when it comes to who can be flagged. Citizens who have spread false information about terrorism, caused, quote, trouble on on flights and used expired tickets or were caught smoking on trains could all be banned. Wow. So it's almost like you get a demerit, you get a, a, a ticket from the police, and then that goes on your social 
you know, score. Your social credit Your social score, credit yeah. score. So now you are in debt and you now can't take a train. Now, I, I looked up social credit to see if there's any information what exactly that was. And Wired yeah. Magazine had this. It said, imagine a world where many of your daily activities were constantly monitored and evaluated. What you buy at the at shops online and where you are at any given time, who you are, your friends are, and how you interact with them, yeah. uh, how many hours you spend watching content or playing video games, what bills and taxes you pay or not. It's not a hard picture because most of that already happens, and thanks to all those data collecting companies like Google, Facebook, Instagram, or health tracking apps such as Fitbit, right? Oh. So maybe you're not as healthy, and they can just tag you that way, and you can't fly on an airplane. Wow. But now imagine a system where all these behaviors are rated as either positive or negative and distilled into a single number, according to rules set up by the government. That would create your citizen score, and it would tell uh, uh, everyone whether or not you were trustworthy. Plus, your rating would be publicly ranked against that of the entire population and used to determine your eligibility for a mortgage or a job, where your children can go to school or even just your chances of getting a date. (laughs) This is... But this is this is your citizenship score. This is yeah. this is what teachers have been giving you for years. So China's trying to put this across 1.3 billion citizens. Yeah. And use that uh, the Chinese government is pitching the system as a desirable way to measure and enhance trust nationwide and build a culture of sincerity. As the policy states, it will forge a public opinion environment where keeping trust is glorious. It will strengthen sincerity in government affairs, commercial sincerity, social sincerity, and the construction of judicial credibility. For now, mm-hmm. it's a uh, participant. It's kind of voluntary. Yeah. If you're going to be part of this, it's mandatory by 2020. Well, but okay. How, how does this? Um, what was the word they kept saying over sincerity? and over? Sincerity. Yeah. How does this foster sincerity? It actually seems to foster mandatory. Yeah. It's just, it's force. So, but we have like a, here we have your credit score. Yeah. Right? But that we doesn't use make that me to, sincerely like my credit. No, but, but the idea is like a bank, a, a company that's going to give you money for a loan can re- look at your credit yeah. financial right. behaviors and see you're, okay, you're someone who's trustworthy. Right. But trying to lay that into kind of a social spectrum where it's all your behaviors, who you associate with, choices you've made mistakes and all that kind of thing all into a score can they trust you there was a um an episode it's called black mirror Mm, where they kind of they kind of do this and like there's a point where they walk into like the woman is trying to get the whole point is she's trying to get to this wedding because it'll increase her social score if she's around these high social so she can afford a certain how you know a certain apartment so it's just yeah. yeah. So social climbing, and then so the bigger your score, I mean, really, the you, more access to society you get. It's pretty pathetic. And the more access to society you get, the more she chance spends, you have to raise your score. She spends her entire time trying to be nice. She's trying to impress other people, yeah. doing things that are very non-sincere. Yeah. To because her motivation is to get a higher score. Now, when you in the show, when you did something correct or something people liked, they could grab a phone. I think it was, and they tap on an app, and it would up your social score. <laughs> now, if you bump into somebody or make them mad, they would downgrade your social score. And so, so this is constant game. Like she couldn't even gas up her car because her social score was too low in the show. But mm. isn't this this is what people think like uh, that their god is doing? Yes. They think God is the one out there watching their social score and giving them a score and you're either going to get to heaven or you're not and in heaven they have cars and gas. Right. This is so crazy. China's trying to do this from a governmental state mm. to wow. As they said provide generar- uh, what sincerity in yeah. society. 
Yeah, versus just letting virtue do it. Right. So it turns into a game. You're trying to game the system to gain access to society. But But aren't aren't we all of unlimited worth? Yes. Yes. That's what we're told. But apparently, if you want to be able to take a train... You got to be a good boy. But interesting, too, <laughs> 7 million people are already bad, not doing so well on the list. Right. But how, what does China have? Like 1.3 billion, they yeah. said. So 1.7 million out of 1.3 billion. The, in, the interesting, in that TV show, when you walk up to people, their credit score, their their social score, whatever you want to call it, pops up either on your device or if you're wearing glasses, glasses. you can see it. So as you're talking to them, you're like, oh, they're only like 54. I don't want to be seen with this person. So you leave, right? Because then other people around you see you talking to that person. They're like, what are they doing? Let's just downgrade that person. Why would you ever talk to a person oh, in the 50s? this is just a tangled web. <laughs> well, it turns into basically live action Facebook, right? Because you <laughs> yeah. post stuff on Facebook to right. get likes. Likes and dislikes, and it's right. just like you let society govern itself over the social engineering. What ha- yeah, what happens when government gets involved? And yeah, so that'll be happening. Oh, over you've there. got a parking ticket. Sorry, that's five negative points. Now you don't get a mortgage. Good no job. Mortgage for you. Sorry, should have parked better. Man, aren't you glad you live where you live? Holy cow. Well, continuing the journey, folks. We're all on this big ball of mud, flying through the world or flying through the universe. But we'll make it through together. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. Hope uh, all is well uh, as you start your new week. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered. We have been working nonstop, well, with a few stops, and uh, doing what we can to get ready to give you the latest, the greatest information. So much we'll be talking about today, including on the docket, raising anxiety-resistant children. Uh, is that possible? We will have a, uh, a, a counselor joining us to talk about uh, some of their tricks, their tricks of the trade for how to get your kids to to be able to manage their anxiety. Not an easy thing for really any of us. So we'll talk about that. Uh, We've got a lot to cover as far as headlines going on. Um, President Trump still (laughs) tweeting and and uh, and really amping up some of the tweets now, um, as with McCabe, the F, the ex FBI deputy director who he fired last weekend or before the weekend. That's creating some some chaos. A lot of people are speaking out. Twenty six hours. He was fired twenty six hours before he had his retirement. Yeah, and now, now you've got. Uh, and he's been. It's been known that he's stepping down at this point. Right. For quite a while. I, I'm out of here. I'm, so I'll this walk was away. all timed. Right. right. We'll do it right on that Friday before you're going to retire tomorrow. You're not going to get your pension. So even like uh, Mark Marco Rubio was saying, you know, no, you probably ought to wait. You should have waited. I mean, you just let him through. Let him get to retirement. It's a jerk move. Then when they release the inspector general's report that may have said he did inappropriate things. Then you could do then, something Then there. you do something. And you go back and you take away his pension. A uh, member of the House from Wisconsin is offering a McCabe, the former director of the FBI, a uh, short-term uh, election consultant job to come in talk yeah. about election uh, security and give him maybe two days so he has a little buffer there and he can get his retirement. Yeah. I mean <laughs> – that's the thing. 
again, this just could have gone quietly, and it would have right. just been another. He, by the way, he could have done it all too quietly, like without tweeting about it, and that would have even been better for him. President Trump has called uh, this guy the former director of the FBI as of, yeah. he director of the FBI as of last week, and uh, Mueller, who's doing the investigation, Democrats, right? Yeah, they're both registered Republicans. Well, not registered. The FBI guy says he has voted for every Republican and stayed out of this last uh, cycle. Really? So every time he's voted as an adult, it's been Republican. But he, he, Trump keeps trying to paint him as a Democrat. The guy's wife, McCabe, his wife, ran for a Democratic uh, state, state Senate yeah. seat in Virginia and lost. And part of the conversation that, that McCabe says he keeps having or has had with the president is he goes, so what's it like being married to a loser? Ooh. Wow. <laughs> Really? That's, That's rude. He, and McCabe is saying there's multiple conversations that start out talking about his wife as a loser. Yeah. Usually not a good – that's not a good segue. No. Into a great conversation. <laughs> so I need you to help me out. Well, no, we're done. <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, all that's going on. But really, if you're not into politics, you're – you know, congratulations for yeah. having a real life. Good job. Um, the, the, you really should be watching the NCAA tournament. People are dropping like flies. Yeah, teams that should be winning. North Carolina lost last night. One seed Virginia lost to a commuter school in the Maryland area, I think it was. Yeah. Or it was Virginia. No, U, yeah, that UM Virginia, something. Virginia. The, so how many, Maryland, Baltimore County or something, yeah. How many different tournaments are there? There is the NCAA tournament. Then okay. there's the NIT, which is the National Invitation Tournament. Also known as the NIT. That's that. That used to be the top tournament back in the fifties, but then it slipped to the second tier after the NCAA. So that's Once six, BYU yeah. was invited, and then there is a uh, <laughs> yeah, there's of. another one called the CBI tournament, mm-hmm. and then I think there's a fourth one that I've never heard of before, and you can watch that on some streaming it's, network out of Portugal yeah. or something. So wait, what's which one is the Sweet Sixteen? The NCAA, NCAA, NCAA. And that's okay. the one. Not to brag, but my bracket is killing it. Right. Hmm. 150,000. Now, this may have changed some of the prospects for whoever wins the title holding on to the title after a five-year period as the FBI is investigating many teams involved in the ah, NCAA tournament. Because yeah. a lot of the big teams are dropping, right. and those were the ones that were under indictment, too. Some or pe- not under indictment, under investigation. A certain segment of people found a little joy that the University of Arizona lost. Yeah, as their head coach was reported by ESPN to be on FBI wiretaps, offering a kind of intermediary type person a hundred thousand dollars to get him in touch with a recruit. Wow, which you know that's yeah, that's kind of a bad. That's that's a bad. And Arizona has refuted this. They stood behind their coach. They cheered him on. They had a standing ovation at a home game right after that story was published. And then they went out in the first round and lost, like Arizona does. Well. And then a bunch of their players uh, declared for the pros or whatever. Well, of course, get out while the ship is sinking, right? Yeah. It's, or, a, it's a good time. This is really – I think it was uh, Jerem that said the, this is the best tournament in all of sports. I don't know. I kind of like it when the – there's a few upsets. You want yeah. some surprises. This is chaos, right? There's yeah. so many top seeds. There's one bracket that doesn't even have any no. any of the top four seeds. Mine's They're all decimated. gone. Oh, I only had never one happened. of the top four. There's never been a 16 seed beat a one seed, that right? And that's when the Maryland Baltimore yeah. County beat Virginia. Everyone's like, oh, <laughs> what just happened? 
And then uh, UMBC last lost last night to Kansas State. Was it was or it Kansas? Kansas? Either way, yeah, they lost to a Kansas team. Yeah. So, so and Nevada won. So now that's right. Nevada had two. Reno. They had to come from behind in both the wins they've had to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Lots of last second shots. Michigan had a huge one oh. from a freshman who didn't make any three pointers in the last two or three weeks and just happened to make one. It was like a little leapfrog three pointer. The, then at the win. celebration, he sprinted around the floor. He didn't want to get tackled by the team because they always thought that if he got tackled on one of those buzzer beater shots, yeah. you'd get hurt. So he kind of then he gave up and they tackled him. <laughs> My wife said that in the Reno game. Uh, Nevada was only in the lead for a total of uh, like ninety seconds, or I'm sorry, yeah, uh, like uh, I believe, it. yeah, ninety wow. seconds. It's a, they uh, were twenty points behind most of the game. This is this is good living right here. Is it? Yeah. Is it's it just, a welcome distraction? Yes, and okay. it's they're just what's fun is anyone can win. It seems like it. I mean, remember when you know Kentucky used to just roll everybody? They still may. Yeah, Duke's Duke's out there still. They they're yeah, Kentucky. Doing well. Duke's still in there. Yeah, Kansas, my pick. North Carolina lost yesterday, so it's the second year in a row the defending champion doesn't make it to the Sweet Sixteen. Mm. There's that little fact and figure out there. I think that the idea that you have this the the a one game opportunity. It's not a series, right? You're yeah. not playing like four or five games. You're playing one game. Opens it to any team can have a great day and win. The problem is for the whole tur- the tournament as a whole is you're going to get to the title game and not have any recognizable name, yeah, possibly, and then you, people are like, "Meh, I'm not really interested in watching this." <laughs> unless, unless it's just like if that 16th team, yeah, had ever has anyone ever made it from 16th to the no, 16 final has game? never won the opening game. That's awesome. That's why when they beat Virginia over the weekend, everyone was like, "Holy cow!" Well, because they're always seated against the top team, and right. that's see. Hmm. There you have it. It can happen. Miracles can happen. Let's uh, Speaking of miracle, let's get to the rest of the headlines. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? Multiple stories. AT&T faces off with the Justice Department today in federal court, hoping to succeed in its $85 billion bid for Time Warner. Wow. That's the case where uh, at one point AT&T was like, so is this being held up because the president doesn't like CNN? Because you guys and the administration seem to like every big company buying big companies, but our deal seems to be a problem. Is this all about CNN? Interesting. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we mentioned this before, but pre, uh, Vladimir Putin won re-election. Yeah, he's in. He's in Russia, in. 76% of the vote with 95% of ballots counted. It, it's, right? it almost seems too good to be true. Independent election monitor Golgo, uh, Golos counted 2,742 alleged violations, including ballot boxes placed out of sight of observation cameras and observers being blocked from carrying out their job. Different things like that. Um, it seems like a bigger threat really is that you could die. Apparently, I saw, a, vote I, I saw a, vote, a photo yesterday. We have laws here where you can't put election material posters those sort of things advertising a candidate in a polling place yeah but the people walking into polling places in russia and a huge wall mural of putin and everything he's running on listed so they someone complained and they fixed it by just covering up putin's face which is this little tiny part of the whole mural but like all the rest of his you know platform is written on the wall so he won but i heard that uh they're looking into allegations of american interference of course yeah we we probably tried doubt that so um (laughs) 
Putin's opponents' numbers were small. The Communist Party got 11%, the Nationalist Party got 5%, and a TV personality that ran, she got 1.6%. Wow. That's not bad. See? that, But that does show you that Trump's win was really quite a feat. Right. It's hard to be a TV personality and win. And the, uh, another uh, point this other article I found put up said, More interesting was the complete lack of congratulation from Western leaders, while those from China... Uh, Kazakhstan? Kazakhstan, there we go. Cuba, Belarus, Venezuela, and Bolivia, they scrambled to wish Putin a, a, a you know, good job wow. on the win, but no U.S. Huh. congratulations or how Britain. Did, how or about the U.K.? Yeah, great Britain. Huh? Nobody from any of the Western world yeah, apparently yeah. reached out. Over the weekend, uh, AG Jeff Sessions fired FBI Director Andrew McCabe. Some see it as a possible step towards firing special counsel Robert Mueller. Trump's lawyers came out last night saying, we're not going to do that. Everybody went, yeah, we'll see. Uh, Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina Sunday warned that the constituents or the consequences for President Trump if he tries to fire special counsel Robert Mueller, he said it would be, uh, if he tried to do that, that would be the beginning of the end of his presidency because we're a rule of law nation. Wow. So we'll see what happens. That's, I mean, again, a member of the GOP saying... Don't, ma- don't, don't mess with, with Mueller. President Trump made White House senior staff sign a non-disclosure agreement with heavy, uh, potentially heavy penalties for violating the NDA, according to a draft copy obtained by the Washington Post. Many of the staff balked at first, but were subsequently pressured by then-Chief of Staff Reince Priebus and the White House Counsel's Office to sign the, in the early months of the administration. The NDAs are reportedly very similar to the ones that some signed during the campaign and during the transition. Uh, the draft obtained by the Post had a $10 million violation fee attached, but noted that the final figure was most likely watered down in the final agreement. Mm. Is that a problem? Yeah. People in government service signing an ND- a non-disclosure agreement to work in the governmental office of the White House. Yeah. Okay. There, this is our. These are our people. This is our... We need to know. We need to have information. We need the data. Yeah. We I, need the facts. I don't know if it's different when you're working for the president. I mean, you're a government. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, you don't want you don't want a bunch of books to come out. Maybe well, you need a non an NDA that lasts through the term of the president. Maybe that's it. So once the president's out of office, you can write your book. Write your book. It just seems it seems odd that they would sign the non-disclosure, but. Yeah. Maybe it's a situation they're in. The House and Senate bills, uh, they need to pass their massive 2018 spending bill before the government shuts down on Friday. So we have another government shutdown oh, on Friday, possibly. Senior sources from both parties on Capitol Hill telling are saying they're expecting they'll get the deal done, though there's plenty of last-minute haggling. Uh, the spending bill will cost more than a trillion dollars. Will further add to the national deficit and will, or the, will add to the deficit, which is likely to reach at least eight eighty or eight hundred billion for the 2018 fiscal year. Uh, Republican leaders and Trump will sell the spending package's much-needed boost for military spending. Democrats will rightly be thrilled that they forced Republicans to capitulate, so funding uh, many of their domestic priorities. Wow. So everyone seems to be getting something, and they're adding a ton to the national debt. Um, leadership sources report they think the spending will be the last major law passed this year. Really? It's March. Hold on. So what, what would they do the rest of the year? Uh, the rest of congressional calendar will mostly be given over to confirming Trump's nominees for Secretary of State and the CIA. Okay, then what would they do the next day? Not sure. They're, I think what they're expecting is Secretary of State and CIA will be a huge fight. Holy cow. So we would spend our entire year? <laughs> well, that and re-election. 
Oh, People man. are running for election, right? So they're just going to shut down government and get reelected and come back next year and deal with government. Yeah. Huh? I mean, what, what would you be thinking if you're like, yeah, I've only got two more things to do this year. It'd be great. <laughs> That's crazy. And then, you know, maybe Mueller drops something about, you know, July that oh, somebody has to deal with. What if, oh, yeah. <laughs> Right in the middle of it all, we go, by the way, here's the final report. Like following the the book of Comey, who dropped it the week, well, how soon before the election? A right. Month by the way, uh, Comey's book comes out in about a month, I think. Oh, that's great. So well, they'll have something to do. And it was at number 15 on the Amazon bestseller list, even though it's not out yet. Yeah, it's, it's on pre-orders, right? So it was 15 to start the weekend. Then Trump started tweeting about all this stuff, and then it went to number one. Oh, President Trump quit tweeting. Man is selling books. Meghan Merkel, she's preparing for a wedding. That's going to be in May, just so you can synchronize your calendar calendar there. Absolutely. Um, She's uh, learning the correct etiquette, protocol, and posture. She's going to be a princess. Prince Harry Harry is even teaching her to drive on the right side of the road. The right, 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 wrong, whichever side the of the road. The other side, yeah. Uh, But there's another big thing she'll need to master before she walks up the aisle in May, and that's how to use her cutlery. Right. Mm. You eat the proper way to do it. Ugh. Like most of us, uh, she probably hasn't been doing it correctly is what they're saying. Thank right. you. The music is fitting. Apparently, one should never use a fork to scoop up food. Oh, really? A fork is for poking, not for scooping. What is for scooping? Be the spoon. Well, I'm not supposed to grab my spoon to eat my potatoes. Why not? What's wrong with that? just seems inappropriate. Instead, hmm. the knife should be used to push food onto the back of the fork. This is exactly how the Brits eat. And this is how... So you don't scoop. You have the knife to help the food over onto the fork, and then you eat it from yeah, there. Yeah, but what if you don't have a knife? I've had so many meals where there's no knife, so you have to either like try to squeeze everything in between the tongs of the fork, if or you just have to pick up the plate and just like shovel it in. That's why they made a spork. If you're eating Man. a proper meal, you'll always have a, the full place setting. That's hmm. the other problem. Yeah, but when your kids set the table. Well, you know, you're going to do with what you, you're not going to keep proper etiquette. But <laughs> So it says this is obviously rather difficult for some foods such as peas, right? Yeah. So this, uh, the mirror here I'm reading from went to a website to find a way around the problem. It says it states it may be necessary to use mashed potatoes to make peas stick to the fork, but it is incorrect to turn the fork over and scoop. Well, what what if there mm. aren't any mashed potatoes? You need some binding agent. <laughs> honey, so, honey. I heard. Some, can I have some honey? Honey, for please, my peas. For my peas. Because <laughs> uh, that's not all, and there are some other cutlery rules that she'll need to follow. One is pretty obvious: only the fork and spoon should go into the mouth. That means no stabbing stuff with the knife and going straight in. Hmm. Definitely no licking of the knife. So, Matt, you're going to need to uh, curtail your... But the remnants. What if it's a buoy knife? you got to get the remnants. <laughs> My buoy knife? That's funny. There are some foods that should only be eaten with a fork, including pastas and some types of fish. Really? You should, ne- And it says uh, you should never hold your knife like a pin. How about like uh, Insta- a murderer? It says instead the handle should lie in the palm of the hand secured by the thumb and the index finger. You know, some meals, though, you, you go to set the table and there just aren't enough dishes. So you end up using, like, the gigantic fork. But I don't think, I don't think Meghan Merkel's going to be no. having these problems. She will not have a, a dearth of uh, fine china hmm. to eat off of. Does, how does she eat her Kentucky Fried Chicken? Um, I'm not sure if she would ever eat that in public. Well, what yeah. would she I, eat if she ate dinner with the Trumps? 
if that ever happens. I think in that situation, if you're being, if you're having KFC, that's something you're probably going to have fed to you by a servant, so you don't even have to touch it. That's right. a great point. Finally, it is extremely rude to ask for a steak knife if you're at someone's home for a dinner, as it suggests the meat is too tough. But is, mm. it is acceptable if you're at a restaurant because you're paying for the meal. That is a great. That's a great. Point so you're too. just. You, they would rather that you just develop arthritis because you can't no, you cut just, their tough you food. Pick, you pick the meat up with your hand and you just bite it off like a carnivore. Somehow that seems worse. You just also, there, shake your head. Arr. There's a protocol drama that's kind of will be playing out as we get closer here. Does the president of the United States get an invite to the wedding? No. If the does the office get the invite or does the person get the invite? Because if it's the person, then he's not coming to the wedding. But the government would really like the prince and princess to invite the president of the United States to the wedding since they're going to have all kinds of yeah. other governmental people from around the world attending. And you don't have the president, especially when you're taking your you've already invited the former yeah. president. To the wedding. Yeah, what you do is you have a pseudo-invite, and then you send Ivana, Ivanka and Jared Kushner. Well, Ivanka congratulated her right after the wedding was made public, and uh, she was instantly hit on by everyone on Twitter saying that you're just trying to get an invite. This looks pathetic. Now, can't they just, after <laughs> sure. the fact, say, oh, we sent the, sent the invite. Didn't you get it? It's in the mail. Hmm. We oh, you fired, you, you fired your mail guy. Yeah. That's why you didn't get it. Sorry. It's not you. It's me. Oh, brother. Hey, uh, let's do this then. Uh, if, if that didn't make you anxious enough to have to go figure out what, you know, what fork to use and how not to scoop up food with a fork. Up next, we're going to be talking about raising anxiety-resistant children, giving you some tools, some ideas for uh, how to decrease the anxiousness in your family. You know, most of us won't get through life without experiencing at least a little form of uh, fear, panic, anxiety, maybe some depression. Each can be crippling if not treated properly. And in many ways, it seems that these mental disorders are more common than ever. Here to talk about uh, anxiety is Jeff Gregson. He's a therapist, a counselor who specializes in the treatment of depression and anxiety. He's here today to talk with us about how to fight back against uh, anxiousness and how to get your children to be more resilient to anxiety. Good to have you here, Jeff. Thanks for your time. I appreciate you having me. This is, um, it really seems like anxiousness, anxiety is on the rise. Why is that? Is it we're just noticing it more or is it actually rising? So I literally get that question every single day. Yeah. Uh, it's both. Yeah. Absolutely, anxiety is on the rise, but also we're more aware. And as the public, we're more aware. Yeah. And I think there's lots of things that are pointing towards this. With the rise of suicide, especially in the Western states, I think people in the public are becoming more more aware and more concerned about anxiety. But I've been doing this for 17 years, and that's always been my focus is anxiety and depression. And I've seen it. Yeah. I just think that we as a people are becoming uh, acutely more aware of the problem of anxiety. Do we know the cause? Because every time I have a guest on and we talk about this, it's – 
the research is still out, it seems like, on – we know there's a genetic component to right. some. But we right. also know that it's, some of it's situational. Some of it's just maybe how we parented kids. Right. So do we know the cause of anxiety and are there anything – is there anything out there in our, our environment now that might be inducing more anxiety? So there is always that question, nature versus nurture. Yeah. And so I tell people I talk with, look, does it really matter, right? right. Whether it's coming from how you're raised or from a genetic, you know, cofactor. So I think what's happening is that we – in our society, we have gone to a situation where we're a lot more comfortable. Right. Where we are not as challenged as much. You know, our days are pretty easy. We have things come easily to us, whether it be information or just, you know, to sustain ourselves. And so we become comfortable, which creates anxiety. Yeah. Which is ironic, right? Yeah, We think that if everything's okay, we've got everything just down pat, that we're not going to experience anxiety. The reality is, I think as parents, we're struggling with allowing our children to feel fear. Yeah. And I believe that comes from our own anxiety. So anxiety resonates between people. And so you have a parent who has experienced some of their own anxiety. As parents, we want better for our children than what we've had. So what happens then is we try to create situations where we create accommodation for our children. Yeah. Right? And so what happens is when they're in a situation that's difficult, we want to rescue them. You know, the classic helicopter parenting. Right. Therefore, our children don't experience fear, but more importantly, they don't experience failure. And we almost, we almost give them this social mirror that they can't handle it. Yeah, absolutely. So then all of a sudden, because we're always intervening, they must be thinking, they, I don't know how to do this. They, I, yeah. I, I must not be able to do this. Absolutely. You know, modeling is the best way that we parent. And yeah. so when we show our children, hey, this is not okay. Yeah. And so some of that apparent accommodation. You know, one of the classic examples I give is if you watch your child, you know, riding a bike for the first time. Okay. You take the training wheels off. They're ready to go. So you're running behind them. And then what happens inevitably? The, the bicycle crashes, yep. right? They fall down. First thing they do is they look towards you. And if you react, you know, <laughs> with a lot of anxiety yeah. and a lot of verbose, then what do they do? They do the same. But if you get up and if you give them some empathy, absolutely, then you're able to get them back on the bike. Right. And they'll whine a little bit, but off they go. Off they go, and, and, they, and they can make it. Is there – one of the things in, in an article you wrote on psychology today is the idea that you can create an anxiety-resilient kid. Explain right. that. You can't anxiety-proof them. Correct, right, right. But you can make them resilient to it, adaptable. I think, I think it's important to make that distinction, right? Yeah. Proof means impermeable, but uh, resilient means they're able to bounce back. Yeah. And so failure is key to success. And so teaching your children again – you know, the more mistakes you make, the more opportunity you have to be able to be successful. And so teaching our children that the things they face, you know, I, I use the common analogy of anxiety being a separate entity. So when I talk to parents, I tell them, teach your children that anxiety is like this monster, the separate, you know, being floating out there. You know, have them create what that you know, anxiety monster looks like for right. them. But they're fighting and attacking that. And that anxiety monster is telling them lies. So these are, you know, untruths about themselves and what they're capable of. And so if parents can learn to start attacking that and looking at it as something separate from themselves, then that creates that resilience. Yeah. Because they're no longer beating themselves up. Individuals with anxiety and children with anxiety, they're often extremely kind 
extremely sweet children, mm-hmm. right? They want everybody else to be happy. They're often perfectionists and pleasers. Yeah. And it's really easy to, you know, to build on this and to get in trouble. Right. Because then the individual is constantly looking to please others as opposed to pleasing themselves. Huge. And then, um, so are those, because you, you do talk about distortions, and a lot of times we get, uh, we we distort, I guess, what reality is. We distort right. if we're going to be liked or not. We distort right. uh, if we can do something. Talk about how, how we distort and how that impacts our anxiousness. So one large area of anxiety I work in is social anxiety. The, the often mis- misconception with this is that people with social anxiety they don't want to be social. Yeah, right? they don't like people. Yeah, they 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 are uh, they just hate people. Right, right, and that's not social anxiety. No, okay, that is social anxiety is when we go to a social situation, and especially if it's something that's new, mm-hmm. right, and unique, people we don't know, we're worried about how those people are judging us. So going back to that classic, you know, pleaser and perfectionist. People with social anxiety believe that if they can get everybody to like them and accept them, that they're okay. That's yeah. validation, yeah. right? They want that, that achievement-based validation. So when you're in that situation with social anxiety, you, an individual needs to learn that, again, the anxiety is telling them a lie. They're right. telling them that people are judging. Now, do we? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we know there's a fact that yeah. on initial you know, glean, we are going to you know, judge a person, but that's just a matter of seconds. And then we let it go. And so if we can start recognizing that, yeah, people do judge, but they don't really care. Yeah, nobody cares. Nobody really cares. And we're able to get past that and do what we need to for ourselves first. So I, I let parents know, look, you have to teach your child if they're very highly anxious and extremely nice. You've got to teach them in some ways to be more selfish. Yeah, interesting because that's, that's a word we hate to use. But- right. But selfish meaning just protect yourself a little bit more or not protect it, but exert what you need for you instead of just always looking for what others need. The more you can do for yourself, Mm -hmm. the more you can do for others. Yeah, because the the pleaser is pleasing at their expense. Exactly. Sure, I'll be there at 5 o'clock. Right, right. When they really can't be and they're killing themselves to get there. Well, and here's the key too, right? So if you're – this classic pleaser, and you're doing things for other people, and you're sacrificing, there's going to be a time and a moment when you look and you are going to be upset with yourself. You're going to be beating yourself up. You're like, I shouldn't have done that. I don't have time to do that. Yeah. Okay. And then with that, what happens is you, I mean, you're stuck with yourself. If you have a friend who doesn't have your back, right? Right. Who does not, you don't trust them. You can dismiss that friend. Okay. You're not going to put responsibilities on that friend that are going to make you, you know, anxious and worried and stressed. But if you do that to yourself, think about that for a second. If you do that to yourself, then you're not going to trust yourself. Yeah. And if you don't trust yourself, you can't get away from yourself. Right. Think how anxious you were going to be. I mean, that's anxiety. Yeah, that's and why. That's depression. And that's why you would feel anxious and depressed. Absolutely. Because you don't believe you can handle it. Correct. That's Correct. a big deal. Um, another, uh, you put together 10 counterintuitive ways to fight anxiety. One you brought up was be more selfish. Another is listen to your enemies and ignore your friends. Right. No. Why is that? <laughs> you know, I I tell people every day. You know, if you want free therapy, right? Listen yeah. to your enemies because they're going to give you very clear, precise feedback. Yeah. Some of the best feedback I've been given is from individuals that I, I may respect and I may not respect. Yeah. But they're going to tell me like it is. Yeah. Right. And the problem is, is we quickly dismiss that because it is. You know, it hits us hard and it hits us deep. But you will. And people who. 
you know, are very, you know, not so much close, but your friends or people who have, you know, that, you know, co-boundary with you, they are going to tell you what you want to hear. And then you're not going to change. Yeah. Right. And so it's also becoming fear and rejection inoculated. Okay? Yeah. The more difficult things we hear about ourselves and we realize it's not the end of the world, you're not going to die, tomorrow will come, you do better. And then you you're, you feel that empowerment to be able to face things that are challenging and that you're going to fail at. So true. It, it really – and it's um, – but it's so counter, it seems, intuitive to go to your enemy and to yeah. believe these others when all these pleasers around you are telling you you can't do anything wrong. Right. Why would I listen to the evil, dark people that are so scary? And uh, this is crazy. Again, we're speaking with Jeff Gregson, who is um, talking to us about how to raise anxiety-resistant kids. And there's a great website. If you go to his website, allthingsanxiety.com, you can just get more information about his work and his uh, his online counseling, some of his programs there as well, plus his podcast. You, Greg, you've been at this 17, 18 years do you um, do you see a difference in the treatment? How we're working and dealing with anxiety today than maybe we did ten years ago? I do. One of the things that we're doing a lot better now is exposure work. So you obviously have to identify what the problem is, what type of anxiety you're dealing with. Yeah. You know, there's social anxiety, there's panic attacks, there's generalized anxiety, and then you have OCD, yeah. which is under the umbrella of anxiety, but treated quite differently. Yeah. So, but this piece of exposure, so once you've identified what you have, once you've identified what that person personally is dealing with, it's important to get to the core, their core belief, right? The the core comments they give themselves. Once you purge that out, then you basically have to do the work, which is the exposure. So facing the fear. So if it is social anxiety, then the person has to face situations over and over again where they're being rejected. And when they see again it's not the end of the world, then things change for them. The important part too, though, is to get to that core belief. So as you talk to somebody who, say, has some of this generalized anxiety, this overall feeling, right, kind of in that mid-range, or that social anxiety, you're going to find that they have a core belief about themselves or a core fear. Mm. So let's say that core fear is rejection and loneliness. So if they're in a social situation, they're, let's say, at a, you know, at a party, at a group gathering, and there's a group talking. And so they approach that group and they look at it and they think to themselves, you know, do I really want to approach these yeah. people? Do I really want to put my you know, two words in? And so they think about it and eventually they tell themselves, no, I'm afraid of what people are going to say about me in their heads. So what do they do? They walk away. They go sit in the corner. And then what happens? So then they get then they get depressed or they get worried like right now I am alone and they start validating their concern exactly right they just yeah. fed that core belief yeah. and that core fear and it's self fulfilled so it is. so I guess part of this is um, you, you got to know what your core belief is and then how do you correct the core belief so the core belief is like a double edged sword yeah. Because it's, it's good too. It's what yeah. motivates us. It helps us. Yeah, it drives us. It drives us, exactly. So you want to make sure that you're, you recognize you're not going to ever get rid of that core right. belief. You just have to be aware of it. Yeah. And this is where it goes into, and this is something that we've been doing great, I believe, in counseling over the past 15 years is using evidence-based yeah. right, psychology. 
uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, right. dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. You know, it, you take those thoughts, you take those beliefs, and I teach what I call the three C's. Really simple. I believe if you can, you know, keep it in your head and bring it out of your head quickly, it's going to be a lot more effective than a bunch of worksheets. Yeah, right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so you, you catch the thought, yeah. right? So if it's dealing with your core fear and challenging that, you catch the thought. Hey, you recognize in that situation. Uh, you know, I'm af- I'm afraid of my acceptance. I'm afraid of being lonely. Mm-hmm. The next is to challenge that and ask yourself, all right, so really my fear too here is to be engaging in the social situation. You know, again, is it the end of the world if someone does reject me? Now, here's the real key. This is the, this is the better, right? You got the, the good and the better. And that is to tell yourself, yeah, they might reject me. So what? Yeah. Not that, oh, they're not going to and everybody's going to love me. You don't want to feed that part of it. Right. You want to challenge it by saying, yeah, so what? So what would happen so what? then? I mean, Exactly. What's the worst thing? Yeah. Right. Then what? So you catch it, you challenge it, then change change it. And so that can be in the moment, right? It's like opposite day. Yeah. You do what you don't feel like doing. But that's the exposure work as well. And that's what I work on with my clients is, okay, now we're going to repeat this behavior over and over again and literally go with that individual and do these exposures or give them lots of homework assignments. And then I guess eventually it becomes uh, it becomes automatic. It runs without thinking. It does. It does. It yeah. takes a long time. Yeah. Right? It's, it's, it's behavior shaping. Yeah. So it takes a while to reshape old shaped behaviors. But. I, mean, I remember uh, taking in college a speaking class and thinking – and then I remember watching a woman <laughs> speak in the class and have a hives breakout. She just right. got hives and just started – it was horrible <laughs> Sounds as she was speaking. And I'm watching her and I'm thinking, is that what I look like? But part of this is just you have to be aware. You just have to be aware that – and then when I realize, no, I don't look like that. Right. When I speak, I don't get all red. I don't. Once I realize that, then I right. I honestly remember that right then my mind thinking, "Oh, all you have to do is kind of verify. Right. Just start verifying these beliefs that you have, and or not, or or validating that they're not act they're not actually happening. And then, so why does our mind play such games on us? Why why that, would it why would it want us to be so afraid of something right. that really is it's it's going to cost us big time down the road. Yeah, that's an excellent excellent question. It, we uh we're constantly assessing risk. So you could say this goes back to the primitive man, you know, the primitive yeah, mind, right. right? We are constantly looking for situations, you know, that can harm us. I find too that individuals who deal with a lot of anxiety and stress are also very intelligent and very aware, yeah, and very insightful. So they're obviously picking up on more situations that are, you know, risk you know, intense. So our, we do, we want to prevent ourselves. And there's really two ways of dealing with anxiety. And that is to control or avoid. Yeah. It's the classic fight or flight. So we believe that if we can control everything around us, then we prevent anything negative from happening to right. us. Now that of course is exhausting, right? Not the way to go. The other situation is avoiding. We just put our head in the sand and don't do anything. Again, that can be very difficult. So I do believe it's, it's, it's natural, it's innate, it's a protection, and we do have to fight against that in order you know, to progress. Yeah, right. yeah, and if you don't, again, I guess you got to see it. You do. And then yeah. start recognizing your victories, right? Over time, you're succeeding all the time. Absolutely. And this success is similar to the next success. So if I could speak in this situation, 
I ought to be able to speak in this situation. Exactly. And then go test it and then gather the data and validate it. Oh, I did. That worked. And I think it's important to know that we are going to feel, right, that intensity and that yeah. stress. I think of the person who, you know, has, has fallen into a cold lake, right? I recently watched this video of this, this gentleman who's demonstrating how to get out of a I frozen. Did you see that? That was horrible. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> he did. Well, it was amazing how he did it, but it was horrible. But a brilliant example yeah. of how anxiety works. Yeah. Because if you notice, he went on the ice, right? And he intentionally, you know, broke fell in. in, broke in. But as he hit that water, he said, okay, what's going to happen first is you're going to feel this intense pain and panic. Yeah. You don't want to respond to that because if you do, you're going to start inhaling That's water. Right. And you're going to drown. That's right. He says, if you just sit in it, just let 30 it, seconds. And let minute, it pass. It'll pass. It'll pass. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the same way with anxiety. And then after you let that pass, then you become more resourceful where then you can handle the situation. Yeah. And the problem is, is we, we oftentimes panic. And we often, you know, we fear that initial shock. And we believe I shouldn't feel that. You're going to yeah. every single time. But you're right. The more you do it, the more you realize, okay, I'll feel that. But I'm going to be able to get past it. I'm going to have successes. I'm just going to be okay with it. Is that um, – so So we could be coaching our kids that the panic is normal. The anxiousness is normal. Right. It, and, and it too will pass. What, what do you do when your kids have, have gone through it? Like even going to school. We had a child with social anxiety and he just hated going to school. Right. And so when he got home from school, we'd always talk about – do you remember how you were feeling all that fear before? And then what happened when we dropped you off and he would talk us through it and see, and it was great. And within a half a minute or two minutes, you were you were to normal, just playing with your friends again. Right. I would say, again, try to find out what it is, you know, at the core of what's, why you struggle. What's struggling. their core belief? Yeah. Right. So this would translate in other situations, other areas besides school. Yeah. And then when you find that, then you can, again, set up exposures and opportunities to challenge them. Yeah. So maybe it's, hey, when you go to the restaurant, you're ordering your own meal. You're having to speak up. Right. And again, that's a good thing. But the, you know, something that's better is then you make your child change the order. Oh, right? Make <laughs> so them talk to the make waiter. Make them talk to the waiter and say, look, actually, I want something different. And to have to deal with that, you know, intense yeah. feeling of, oh, no, I'm letting this person down. And that's what will they so think? good. And, and let's, get this, let's get this clear, Jeff. That won't kill them, right? Not no. <laughs> so the, the anxiety expert says, no, that will not. That will kill not. Me. Your child will be okay. Is there – it also goes back to our parenting in the – and like you spoke about earlier that we have this need as parents to, to make everything all right for our kids. Right. And it seems like we're robbing them of the opportunity to know how much power they have to make their own life right. If you give your child reassurance, so back to the bicycle example, they, they're going to look to you and believe, well, there must be something wrong. Yeah. Right? So the more you say, you're OK, you're going to be fine. No, people do like you. They believe that there must be something wrong. Otherwise, right. you would be saying all of this. That's right. And you wouldn't be coaxing them. So, so. It's, it's a, there's a healthy side to, to just being supportive and letting them grow. Absolutely. Be supportive and let them grow. What's the one thing, if you're going to leave us with one thing, what's the one thing we could all do today with our children to make them more resilient? If you even reinforce anything you've already told us. Yeah, I would say give them opportunity to be able to advocate for themselves, to be able to stand up for themselves, and to build confidence by putting them in situations. That's good. Where they have to be challenged. And 
they have to engage with others where they may be judged. Yeah, and and they'll succeed. I mean, and then point out the success. Let them see it. Yes. They did it. They did it. Jeff Gregson's his name. Go to the website, uh, allthingsanxiety.com, allthingsanxiety. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Wonderful, wonderful insight. We'll continue the journey. Do a little Coach's Corner up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Play ball. Welcome back, friends, uh, to the Matt Townsend Show. Think about it just as a parent. Your job is to be a coach, a guide on the side with your kids. And if they're experiencing anxiety, then you need to learn. You need to not necessarily freak out about it. Don't get anxious about it. But um, but but learn that it's just skills, it's tools, it's ideas, it's information. That's all uh, our children need in order to handle their anxiety. And it's it's also be careful what you're reflecting on them because if you act like they can't handle it, if you keep projecting that they're broken and sick and twisted and their lives are going to fall apart, that will inherently create more and more anxiety for them. So – just be aware. It's it's not a life sentence. Uh, more and more people are experiencing anxiety. And yet, I, in my eyes, um, as somebody that I guess I had anxiety growing up, I never actually thought of it that way. I never thought of it as anxiety. I thought this was just life. You know, I thought you just stress about stuff. But I, I think that also forced me to get some really cool coping skills, humor, and uh, just, you know, getting down to work and putting putting myself to work on certain things, also the, the ability to learn my way through it. But I think it made me better. I think anxiety also has the power to make you a more, ang- a more uh, attentive and empathic person because I tend to th- overthink things or think through a lot of things ahead of time. I think I, I understand a little deeper um, some certain people when I come across them because I've thought certain thoughts that they have thought. So it's not all bad, folks. Uh, It's just life. And I believe life is here to teach if you let it. And we open ourselves up to uh, more and more opportunities to learn. So that's that's it. Don't don't hate it. Just accept it and identify it and start making a change about it. That's how you manage anxiety. We'll continue the journey straight ahead to a little um, uh, some empty news with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Jeffrey Liam Simpson will now enlighten us with uh, our empty news segment. Jeff, what do we need to catch up on? Well, today I feel like is kind of an addition of what would you do? Ooh. Because there are so many stories that you would think people would act in a rational manner, but they just can't seem to do it. Just don't do it. So what would you do if you ended up on the wrong flight? Oh, boy. And is, is the flight in the air? You were past the point where they're they're no longer allowing people to exit the plane. Yeah. What would you do? I just would then I guess I'm going for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> to I mean, the wrong city, huh? If you can't if you can't get off, 
Freaking out's not going to help. Okay. Well, freaking out is kind of what this guy chose to do. <laughs> so, and unfortunately, this was also on United Airlines. It was a oh, flight from New Jersey United. to Tampa. Yeah. And uh, this guy uh, was unable to take off on time Sunday evening after a passenger escaped the plane by opening the emergency exit door and jumping off using the inflatable slide. Really? Yep. 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 So it was parked at the gate at uh, Newark Liberty International Airport when the passenger popped a chute and slid down and when officers got to the scene the panicked passenger was yelling that he didn't belong on the plane because it was the wrong flight despite the claim he was on the wrong flight port authority said he was ticketed to be on the plane to tampa listen to this the flight was delayed for more than five hours Uh, yeah see but now many lives have been Ruined, And this is something that we come up with. I mean, it happens to us all the time when we're on the road. Right. Like we miss a we miss a turn. Some people do the really dangerous thing oh. and just like cross five lanes. Oh, I can especially on the freeway. Yeah. Other people and I'm you know, I'm not perfect at this, but other people do the more sensible thing of we'll just take the next yeah. exit. Let's just we'll turn. We'll fix it. Right. Yeah. OK, here's another. What would you do? What if someone uh, tossed out some food that you were eating? Was I like you? You came maybe you came to the fridge and it was no longer there, and your wife's like, "Oh yeah, sorry, I threw that out. Thought it was bad. Thought you were done with it." But I, but yeah, well, I, I would, I'd ask them to go get me some more. Would you call the cops? Probably not. So a Connecticut man was arrested. Uh, he's being accused of calling nine one one four times to complain about someone throwing his clam chowder into a dumpster. <laughs> And then once more to complain uh, about being given a misdemeanor summons for misusing the 911 system. Yeah. So he said he called 911. This guy said he called 911 because he had no other number to contact police. That's why you get online, you look at the, yeah. the non-emergency I numbers. I couldn't find the other number. He was released on a promise to appear in court March 12th. An hour later, dispatch reported they received another 911 call from this guy during this 911 call. Uh, he allegedly did not report any sort of emergency. Instead, to complain, the dispatcher he had uh, to the dispatcher he had received a summons for misusing oh, the nine one one system. Come on, come on! Oh well, you know what, folks? Life's too complicated to make it even harder. Just when it when it when you get hit in the face, just take it sometimes and walk away. Walk away. Ouch! A little lesson from the Matt Townsend show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. As you take on a whole new week, we're here for you. Dr. Matt, along with Jeff and Terry, The gang is gathered and, of course, doing what we can to give you the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception, we'll be talking about how love, this is going to be interesting, could destroy your marriage. (gasps) Kim Giles will be joining us. She's one of our contributors, and uh, she's going to walk us through that idea. Plus, of course, we'll be visiting with our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation as we will have to talk about our brackets because my bracket in the NCAA tournament is killing it, not to brag. How many times have you said not to brag on the show today? I don't know. I think you like to brag. A lot not to brag. 
Not to brag. So I'm curious to hear more about this idea of love ruining your marriage. Does she mean like the the lovey dovey let's let's make things like a romantic comedy where everything is roses all the time? No, it may be. It's maybe this idea that we think love has to be there for everything, for everyone. We're looking for love. We're looking when we're not loved. We miss the love we wanted. We expect love we didn't get. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. The love you take is equal to the love you make. Wow. Okay. And so um, if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. By the way, all great lines to songs, uh, and we appreciate you going through each and every one of them. So we'll be talking about maybe maybe you might be more quick to find love if you were actually looking, I don't know, to serve. But if we're always looking for love. What kind of nonsense is that? It's interesting because, yeah. You, yeah, you're going around trying to find love for yourself, yeah. but you're saying – Maybe you have to focus less on yourself. Yeah, maybe that's to have love come to you. There's got to yeah. be another song title in there somewhere. Oh, I'm sure there is. There's probably five more <laughs> song titles. So we'll be getting into that a little bit later. Plus, our good brethren from BYU Sports Nation will be talking, I'm sure, about the tournament with them. Uh, there's not much basketball we can talk about otherwise here at BYU because, you know, season's over. Bummer. So we'll get to that fun. Oh, there goes Jeff. Now he's crying. And that's amazing because Jeff doesn't even usually watch basketball. But I did fast forward through the last game that BYU was in. So I caught like a good minute of it. Really? Yeah. You felt pretty good about it. Well, I watched more of it than you did. Yeah, you did. No, you totally did. I I couldn't find mine. Um, So that's going on. Plus, uh, Washington's, you know, there's a lot going on back in D.C. Many are just... Not sure what's exactly happening, but President Trump is he's on a rampage now. No, nobody's sure if he's going to fire Mueller. What what is he going to do? So I saw a note yesterday the uh, the pool, the media pool who follows uh, the president around noted that the uh, presidential aides whisked the president off to a golf course yesterday afternoon after about his fifth or sixth tweet that went out. <laughs> trying to just distract him, get him out to do something. You got to you know? get that guy out there hitting some balls. Um, isn't that interesting? <laughs> like, hey, Mr. President, you want to play golf? That's what they would do with me. They'd just say, hey, did you see what's on Netflix? Yeah, shiny thing, shiny thing. What? And then I'd be all over Netflix. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything else we should be focused on? President Trump says the special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation of the Russian election interference should never have been started and tore into investigative team for what he described as Democratic bias on Sunday via Twitter. Trump made the remarks after his legal team received preliminary interview questions from Mueller, according to The New York Times. The president's tweets also came shortly after his personal lawyer said that he hoped the probe would be shut down after firing of uh, Andrew McCabe, the FBI's deputy director. McCabe's dismissal has faced mounting scrutiny, with some viewing it as an effort to undermine the Mueller investigation. Hmm. This was all happening yesterday, and they whisked the president off to a golfing, too give him something to do. President Trump reportedly expressed interest in increasing the size and number of tariffs on Chinese products, according to Axios. Trump was presented with a package of tariffs targeting $30 billion in tariffs last week and told his team that he wanted to aim for an even bigger number. In a meeting Thursday, the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, Kevin Hassert, Trump said 
uh, Hassett, Trump's asked Haskett has to make the number bigger and said he would study the potential impacts of these larger tariffs against China. Sources also told Axios that the administration was considering putting tariffs on hundreds of Chinese products by the end of March. The president reportedly wants Congress to pass a bill allowing him to raise tariffs levels to reciprocal levels, a move that's considered dead on arrival at Capitol Hill. So President Trump across Europe like U.S. cars are, say, uh, tariffed at like 25%, where European cars are like at 10%. Yeah. So he wants to make it so all tariffs are exactly the same. If you're going to do 25, we're going to do 25. Interesting. And he wants the power just to say, look back and go, okay, just start looking at them at, on, a, on a day-to-day basis and just raise them. Wow. The problem is that would destroy the World Trade Organization. Yeah. Because it's based on certain parameters and things. And if, if President Trump can just, you know, start messing with the levers of how this is all regulated at a whim, it would destroy the whole process of how the world economy yeah. works. But you can and see so, that you can see that his followers would say, well, yeah. Yeah, sure. Why should I pay less tariffs on an Audi than they charge on our cars? Right. And that means jobs and, yeah. you know, resources. Uh, but as they said, dead on arrival on Capitol Hill, so that may never come to fruition, wow. but he'd like to. A former employee of uh, Cambridge Analytica who recently went public with allegations of the Trump-linked data firm allegedly harvesting Facebook data for electoral purposes has been suspended by the social media giant, Facebook, for blowing the whistle. Christopher Wiley posted a screenshot to Twitter on Sunday showing an account disabled. A message purportedly from Facebook. He said he'd been suspended for going public on something they have known privately for over two years. Ooh. Wiley was cited by the New York Times a day earlier alleging that Cambridge Analytica stole the Facebook data of at least 50 million users as part of a psychological profiling campaign for U.S. elections. The data firm largely owned by the Mercer family... It was a uh, is under scrutiny as part of a special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation as it worked with President Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. Facebook, which suspended Cambridge Analytica for policy violations, just as Wiley's claim, uh, claims came out, is also under fire for apparently not acting quickly enough after learning of the allegations, as Wiley said, over two years ago. Oh, wow. When Facebook was saying, we didn't do anything. What? We had no effect what? on the election. There was yeah. nothing. Yeah. So now it's more like, was there a massive privacy breach, and what did they get? Should we care? I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> Apparently, Facebook knows a lot about each and every one of us. Yeah. Should that just be out there? Is it just floating around out there somewhere? Is it secured? To, they were told to delete, but then Facebook found evidence that they didn't delete it. They shouldn't have had it in the first place. Right. So, whatever. Busted. Uh, a majority of Americans believe the U.S. government is engaged in mass surveillance of the general public. And is influenced by the, quote, deep state, a group of unelected government and military officials who secretly manipulated direct national policy. A new Monmouth University poll published Monday reports asked whether the U.S. government currently monitors or spies on the activities of American citizens. 82% of respondents said yes. Really? 53% affirming that such surveillance is widespread. 29% believing it happens less often. With such surveillance does occur, 18% believe it's usually justified. While 8 and 10 said it's only sometimes or rarely legitimate. Yeah. Do you believe you're being spied on? Yeah, but I don't think it's by the government. I think it's by Google, yeah, Facebook, <laughs> Amazon. I don't know if the government yeah. cares, but no. I, I, I do believe uh, like the widespread 
Oh, yeah. But, I mean, targeted, no. But, I, yeah, I think they might have data collection where they just gather Dude, everybody's stuff. And I'm then sure sort you saw this article. This is terrifying. Police are asking Google to provide user data for all people near crime scenes. Yeah. So if there's a murder scene, then Google would go look through their database, and anybody that uh, has a location near the crime scene on there, and, you know, that, which is maybe why you ought not be. Right. Be allowing them to identify where you are at all times. Scary, huh? If you're going to commit crimes. Or not, because it's great now that, you're just... It's great that we're all packing these uh, GPS devices in our pockets every day now with these phones. Wow. They just track you. Yeah. But, you know, you had to have it on for Angry Birds. In uh, it's you got yeah, and for yeah, and for Pokemon yeah. Uh, in one instance, the police requested user data from Google for anyone within a 17-acre area. Wow, that's cray cray. Wow. Okay. Cool. Crazy. Other news: All uh, Walmart wants to patent drone bees. Hmm. Walmart earlier this month applied for a patent for drone drone pollinators. They're saying that would fill in for the declining population of bees that now help fertilize the crops needed to produce food sold by Walmart and other grocery stores. Wow. Bee populations are shrinking. Scientists pointing to pesticides. Maybe it's one of those. We've had some shows where we talked about what's going on. The document that Walmart uh, submitted also describes systems and methods for pollinating crops via unmanned aerial vehicles configured to collect pollen from flowers uh, of a first crop and then apply those to the second crop, right? It says follow-up drones outfitted with pollen detector sensors would then be used to ensure successful pollination. Drone it, bees. It, it seems like it would be easier to just hire people. Yeah, probably. To just... But, you know, drone bees. Wow. I mean, that could go wrong on so many fronts. <laughs> Sounds like a sci-fi original movie in the making. Yeah. Would, would those bees have stingers? Probably I'm not. I'm not, not sure what they would look like or how big they would be, but uh, there's been some TV shows, B. They'd have hairy legs to uh-huh. pick up the pollen. Sure. And then they'd, they'd, they'd probably be stingerless. Yeah, probably. Just to be on the safe side. Well, yeah, because once they lose that stinger, they're totally out of commission. Finally, Matt, the, uh, the, the investment you made in Snuggies... Come again? Hey, I made your, that investment. Are those diapers? Your, your blanket coat. Oh, yeah. As seen on yeah. TV, oh, Snuggie Snuggy. product. Yeah. So if you've ever purchased a Snuggie, the lapse in judgment could finally be paying off. The company behind the famous as seen on TV wearable blanket has reached a settlement with the FTC to refund more than 218,000 customers of a total of $7.2 million. Uh, wow. in, the, in the commercials, Snuggies were offering a part of a buy one, get one free promotion with both costing just nineteen ninety five. Yeah. Gang. So buy one, get one free. They both cost nineteen ninety five. Gang. So you're so, paying nineteen ninety five twice. So buy one, get another one for nineteen ninety five. Yeah, you're just buying two. It says, but the FTC said the ads never mentioned that they were an extra seven ninety five dollar handling fee for each product, bringing the grand total up to thirty five dollars eighty five cents. Mm-hmm. The settlement checks were going out to each in there. Uh, so people are, that bought these were going to get a refund of about thirty three dollars and fourteen cents. Because they lied to you about the second one yeah. and the shipping and handling. Well, and what's awesome about that, it's really a Snuggie and a half. Yes. You're getting back. Have you ever used a Snuggie? No. They're delightful. Uh, a Snuggie once saved me from freezing one night. Really? Yeah. Plus, I could put my TV remote in there. <laughs> and as a pocket. I I don't know that I'd be bragging about that. You, you blink it with arms. It's the cool. It's the greatest thing. Really? He was going to say it's the coolest. But well, wouldn't not. you rather just cuddle with your wife? Mm. 
But what if she doesn't want to? Mm. And cuddle with your kids? These are all good points. Hmm. Hmm. Or just go grab a snuggie. Just grab a blanket. You can just grab a blanket. What you don't need to blanket? wear the blanket. But once I'm out of treats, the kids, you know, they're gone. Yeah. Then they're not going to snuggle. Sounds like you've got other problems. <laughs> Finally, uh, part two, uh, Sonic drive-ins. Yeah. I, I happen to enjoy those. So I if love you want a like good a, Sonic, yeah. A quick beverage. They, uh, they're offering for a limited time this summer a uh, pickle juice slush. Why? Bright, a bright green pickle juice <coughs> snow cone slush. Why? It'll be coming out in June. Uh, it says it's sweet and tangy on the bright brine and compensates for the over savoriness you might have been worried about. Our only gripe is that the slush is a bit too sweet, says a food and Ooh, sweet a pickle writer. brine. Yeah. So if you love the pickle flavor, have you as a pickle slush? Uh, is what about dill pickle? Of, Will uh, they do a dill pickle that's, flavor? That's probably what it is. Yeah, you oh, don't. I don't. I don't I, want that. Can you imagine picking that up, thinking it's like a green apple or a Mountain yeah. Dew flavor? Have and you ever had pickle. fried apples or fried pickles? Uh, I believe so. Yes. So good. So yeah. are they so catering good. to pregnant women? Hmm. Probably. That was my real question. Is there anybody out there demanding a pickle-flavored slush? Yeah, there's one person, and he wears a Snuggie. Well, <laughs> okay, right, right. He's the getting reason, a refund. I mean, He's got to spend the refund yeah. on the slushie. Okay. I, think, I think Slurpees and slushies are a real craving for pregnant women. My wife, she craved Coke Slurpees. Oh, yeah. And ever since then, she hasn't been able to stop drinking Coke. Hmm. It, yeah. Well, and so maybe... I'm going to bet she won't want this pickle one. Just try, pick up one for her on the way home today. Well, in June. In June. Yep. Pick one up for her on the way home in June. Hmm. Stay here till June. I um, I love pickles. But slushies? No. You ever drink just, like you get to the end of the, uh, they pull the last pickle out of yeah. the jar and you just drink the juice? No, I but okay. I, I challenge my kids to. And? Not one taker. I did it once. How'd that work? It was pretty you? good. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. I don't we like, actually I don't do the dill pickle, so it's okay. We use pickle juice. We have a stew recipe mm. that that's kind of a key ingredient is pickle juice, and it's delicious. Really? But I mean, you mix it together with with meats and potatoes and and you know, have you ever tomato of, soup or sauce? Maybe out of maybe that'd be something to bring by to your team. Oh wow, you've been mm. holding out. I mean, bring us some stew. It is good. It sounds fantastic. My wife will do that. She'll buy a jar of pickles for a recipe, and then nobody eats the pickles. That's what we do. And yeah. the pickles just sort of turn bad in the back of the fridge, and you throw it away. But you used your little teaspoon or whatever of pickle juice. But you don't eat the pickles? No. There, I, there's a certain type of pickle I enjoy, and it's not that pickle. I can only have pickles on burgers. That's it. Hmm. You really need to try fried pickles. Fantastic. Hmm. Seriously. Well. Really good. For a fried pickle. I mean, other. I mean, yeah. Um, okay. Interesting. Um, Jeffrey, do you have any empty news for us? I sure do. I've got one more, what would you do? Okay, good. And then another one, uh, something you shouldn't do, but it, it leads into one of our sponsors. Okay, excellent. So what would you do if you went to an ATM and it was giving you the wrong currency, but giving you the wrong currency in your favor? Oh, really? Not, and I, I should specify, I shouldn't say wrong currency, like not, you know, it's, it's all in U.S. currency, but it's giving you the wrong bills. Oh, am I getting more money than I should be? Possibly. Hmm. Uh, and apparently there's a bank 
in Wichita, Kansas, that is suing a woman they say repeatedly withdrew cash from a faulty ATM. So here's what happened. The, the bank alleges Christina C. Ochoa used the ATM again and again after she realized it was giving out $100 bills instead of $5 bills. Oh, wow. Uh, the bank says Ochoa took out $11,607.36, which doesn't add up because that's not divisible by 100 No. Um, Ochoa denies stealing the money, insisting she has records of withdrawals and didn't receive any more money than she than was requested. The bank's attorney, Michael Munson, says of the more than 50 withdrawals made by Ochoa, 38 were made between midnight and 4 a.m. What's wrong with that? I mean, she just works late. Some people just do their banking that time. The the lines are so much. Right. You don't have to talk Uh to people. Right. Uh, The lawsuit doesn't detail how many others may have received $100 bills instead of $5. I think I've learned from the movies and just from, you know, my own moral compass. If you're getting money that is not that you didn't earn or that is not deserved, you don't take it. There's no such thing as free money. And in the movies all the time, if you see a case full of very large bills and you look around, there's nobody there. It's never a good idea to yeah. take the money. You're going to have some goon chasing you. Exactly. Trying to break your right? leg. Yeah. So you, what would you do? I would I would just walk away. After the first time I tried it, and then would I'd you? go back to the bank probably in the day. Really? Well, or the next time I was there. Okay. You'd walk across the street to the Sonic. And buy some pickles. And then come back and say, you know what? This This might not seem right. Whatever you do, you don't you don't go run another forty transactions. No, no. Okay, so here's another unusual one. This was this took place at a dollar store in Nashville. Uh, police say that a man entered the store wearing a green sweatshirt and a green hat. Uh oh. So maybe you're thinking, oh, it's a St. Patrick's yeah, Day St. thing. St. Patty's Day. Employees say he took off his clothes and put on a red sweatshirt and red hat from the store merchandise. He's very color-coordinated for some reason. Yeah, he likes he likes matching colors. Employees say uh, they then confronted Timothy Wiggins, 27 years old, and asked him to return the merchandise. That's when they say he pulled out a hatchet out of his what? pants. Now, was it a red hatchet <laughs> or a green hatchet? It's a good question. Whose hatchet? He was pulled it? out a hatchet and out of his pants and threatened the employees. They called the police. That's at that point. You think you just run or, you know, you would assume somebody would start making threats or something. No. Yeah. He allegedly grabbed beef jerky and a can of Vienna sausages and ran out of the store. Oh, come on. If you only had like 10 seconds to grab something, would it be Vienna sausages and beef jerky? No. Would it be probably a jar of pickles, I'm guessing? I'd grab pickle juice. Yeah. Police caught him nearby wearing the stolen clothes. He also had the hatchet, Vienna sausages, and beef jerky. And here's the creepy thing. Wiggins had a big smile in his booking photo. Was this Mr. Sue Higgins? <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you remember the Carol Burnett show? No. 
I mean, I remember it. I just I didn't watch you it. You have I don't to go remember. watch. Carol Burnett had a boss named Mr. Sue Higgins. Okay, Mr. Sue Higgins, who had a really bad toupee, and it was just a really great scene. Maybe. And she was kind of a ditzy, airheady assistant hmm. that could never do anything right, and Mr. Sue Higgins would always have to like fight her on. I'll everything. have to check it out because I know it's. I know she's funny. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Maybe he was smiling because he said, say what you will about me, but I'm going to be smiling in this picture. Yeah. I've got matching colors. Once you look I'm good. going to look good. Yeah, well, you always want your pictures to look good. So this brings to mind one of our wonderful sponsors. Who? Uh, well, it's a game show, really, where you know we've had stories like this before where people have all sorts of things concealed in their pants. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is the show that just asks one simple question. There's a new game show that's setting out to answer the question, Will it fit? On Will It Fit, contestants try and squeeze various groceries into their pants. Items like a 20-pound bag of ice, a case of dog food, and a pineapple. Will it break? Will it hurt? And most importantly, Will It Fit? Coming soon to BGC. Yes, it's time, folks. Uh, that's our, our soft, gentle music because that means Kim Giles is here. Kim is the president and founder of Clarity Point Coaching and the 12 Shapes Relationship System. She's a regular guest on our program and hosts an internet radio show called Relationship Radio every Thursday on voiceamerica.com. Kim, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Matt. You've just got so much going on in your life, so busy, and today you're talking love. Yeah. How on the earth? Pursuit of love. The pursuit of love. You. The the title is how love could destroy your marriage, but it's it's like the obsessive pursuit of love that destroys the marriage. Yeah. If so you just we gotta explain it. Yeah. Talk it's about it. A little it. bit complicated. Yeah. Okay. So basically, when you, when you're constantly trying to pursue something, you're in a getting mindset. Yeah. And if you're trying to get, you're not giving. Right? Totally different. Totally different. But I want people to understand kind of where this comes from because I believe when we're little kids, we just live from joy, right? We oh, just yeah. do stuff because we love to do right. it. And then pretty quick what happens is mom or dad start praising you. Oh, look, you were amazing. Yeah. Look what you did. Yeah. And you realize, ooh, that's really good. That feels really good to get praise and validation. Yeah. And so immediately – it becomes the search for that, right? And now you, you're constantly saying, Mom and Dad, watch me. Watch me do this. Look at me. Look at me. Right? Yeah. Every little kid does it because totally. now, now the pursuit is on. You're, you're trying to get that validation from everybody in your life. And, and it becomes this thing now from every human being, every friend, you need proof of, of love and, and that you're important. Yeah, your and, worth, your validity. Oh, and once we get in there, that's the beginning of all the problems. It's it's kind of like uh, they always say that like money's the root of evil, but like the love of money, the pursuit of money is, is what messes you up. The pursuit, it's like almost the obsessive pursuit of anything is, is a problem. Is a problem. Yeah, yeah. and and it's attention because uh-huh. we we portray attention as love, and yeah. so anytime we get anybody's attention, and that brings out all kinds of bad behavior. We become a show off. We yeah. brag, you know, anything to try to get some attention 
to kind of make us feel better. And then we also start looking for the lack of love. Right. So we start looking for mistreatment. I think this happens really oh, young. And we lot. get mad yeah. at our friend. You don't you didn't pay attention to me. You're not being good to me. Yeah. I'm not gonna be your friend anymore. And we see that really young. All the kids do it. Oh, totally. And it's almost like we get better at seeing how unloved we are than we get at being the, than seeing the love we do see. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we've mastered the negative instead of the positive. Well, and and we talk a lot on the show. One of my major principles I talk about is is the fear of not being good enough yeah. and how that haunts all of us. Right. Right. And so from a very young age, we are afraid we're not enough without that validation. So we're in this empty bucket state, right, yeah. that we're afraid we're not enough all the time. And if you really start to believe that you're not enough, you project that onto everybody. Oh, yeah. So we, I often hear from people, even God doesn't care about me, right? Right. Well, we're projecting your own fear that you're not good enough onto God. Onto God. And you project it onto everybody in your life, so you're pretty sure they don't think you're good enough. Yeah. And it skews the way you see reality, so you uh, see nobody thinks I'm good enough. Right. Even if it's not even accurate. And, but, and, then, it, and then the story just continues, and tomorrow we just play it again. Mm-hmm. Because it's we, – we now have the story. And, and it kind of – I guess it worked for us because we got attention. We got whatever we got for doing that. We did, but hopefully. It, but it, but it, in the end, it doesn't pay off. It doesn't pay off because we're just adding power to this lack yeah, place. This where lack where, mentality. Yeah, yeah, where I need something to fill this bucket up. Or, so you true. Know? So I think as we get to be teenagers – we start to pursue actual love. We we need the one. The one. And even if you're in high school, it's the one that's the boyfriend yeah. or the girlfriend, yeah. right? Yeah. And then later it's the one that's going to marry you. The one that will complete you. Oh, and they'll just heal all of this lack and you'll finally have somebody that just fixes it for you. And boy, that is a big problem yeah. because we are now putting our entire self-worth On someone's shoulders and making them responsible for how we feel about ourselves every day. So true. It's the whole problem, isn't it? And it's it's so – it's just so – it's a spiral that's never going to end. It's this – it's the – it's the toilet flush. Well, and your book, Starved, <laughs> yeah. right? This yeah. is what Starved is. It's all about I need that. someone to fill right. this bucket because it's empty and That's it's right. all your job and yeah. you've got to do it. And really, we have set this person up to fail. Totally. Because there's no way that they can fill up that bucket when you basically ha- or keep putting holes in it, believing right. you're not good enough. So true. And and you're living from that place. I mean, they're going to fail you. Oh, yeah. And then you're going to be disappointed and you're going to blame them. Well, you don't love me enough. Well, in a way, you need them to fail you because they can't do it right anyway because they're not the problem. Really? That you are the problem? Yeah. But don't, isn't this All what you time. see in every, every relationship? Yeah. And then we, but then we we call it the pursuit of love, mm-hmm. but it's really just it's not. It's a very it's the one-sided pursuit of lack of love. Yeah, almost, it's right. It's like trying to backfill some other problem. So every single couple I work with comes in, and the husband says she doesn't make me feel love. She doesn't do this or that. That to me is what means yeah, love. love. And she says, well, that's because he doesn't do. This or that, that's how I need love. That's right. And everybody's disappointed. Oh, yeah. And I just think disappointment 
It's just the poison that's killing all these relationships. All and it is it and again, I guess it's the it's the pursuit of trying to get someone else to fill your void. Yeah. Instead of finding a more a, a healthier source to fill the void. So I I had an article on this topic published this morning on KSL.com. Yeah. And I already had one commenter who got on and said, Well, wait a minute. What if your spouse really isn't filling that bucket? They're really not loving you. And and your article makes it sound like it's all my fault. Okay. This is the thing. There's two sides, and and it's almost yeah. the cure to your issue is 50% on, on each person. So, yeah, you need to validate your spouse. You need to find out what love looks like to them and show up to give them that. But you can't then just depend on that to be the answer. Right. You're also responsible for 50% of this Ugh. to work on your fear of not being good enough. Yeah. Work on your self-esteem. Create a life where you're fulfilled and happy with or without yeah. the, the spouse. And, and, and But if you worked on your 50%, you'd actually feel completely differently about their percentage. Oh, yeah, because you, you wouldn't need you, it so and much. You wouldn't need it as much, and you might actually create a better conversation, a better solution, a better attraction, and it, or you can leave with more power. Oh, yeah. If right? it's not working. If, if you start giving love and you work on yourself and you, this person is still not showing up for you, then then you've got a decision to make. But until Big. you've done that work, if you run away now, yeah. you're going to repeat the same pattern because you're still going into every relationship with an empty bucket. That's right. Well, and, and an empty bucket and a story that that empty bucket had very little to do with you. Oh, The right? story is almost more dangerous, right? Than yeah. Because you actually think the problem was your ex. Yeah. And, and you, then you're just a carrier. <laughs> That's a great term. You you're know what I mean? You're, you're, you're going to totally. mess it up. Totally. Now, I know there's going to be people, though, who don't want to hear this they don't. today. No, by the way, ever. Yeah, don't want to hear this ever. Because yeah. we don't want to be responsible. No. If we're responsible, that means we got to do some work. Yeah. But I will tell you, the number one greatest thing you can do for your all your relationships is to work on getting happier with yourself. If yeah. you would do that, and and usually that might mean getting some outside help with it, because we've been carrying that fear that yeah. we're not good enough our whole life. Totally, totally. And it's heavy. Oh, yeah. So whether you need help, whatever that looks like for you, you've got to do that work, because when you're happier and more fulfilled with your life, you have something to give. Yeah. In those relationships. What does that look like? So when they work on themselves, I mean, there's, there are basic things they can do, no matter what, with themselves that would make them happier and be able to handle the other person better. What okay. are some of those things? Okay. So I'm going to give you my best one today. This okay. is the magic formula to get rid of fear that you're not enough. What you've actually got to do is you've got to change the way you determine the value of human beings across the board. Because as long as you believe that human beings' value can change, that that's people, some people can be better than other people, yeah. you're going to continue to always feel like you're not enough. Because no matter how much weight you lose or how much money you make, you'll still see other human beings that you think are ahead of you. Right. And you'll never be enough. But if you decide that for you, your principle of truth is that every human being has the same exact intrinsic worth. And you can't earn more and be better than anyone else. You can't lose any and be less than anyone else. Right. If you give up judgment 
and you decide to let everybody be the same in value, you will start to actually get that that goes for you too. Yeah. And and that bucket will slowly be filled and you're doing it yourself. But I found in order to really make that change, it's really got to become the language in your house. Everybody in the house has got to start talking about no matter what you do, it didn't change your value. So, you know, the kids win the soccer game or lose the soccer game. Either way, you got to say, well, it was a good day, but it didn't change your value. Yeah. You win, you're not better than the other team, and you lose, you're not worse than the other team. We're still all the same. Yeah. And you can say it on the win or the lose. Oh, and whether they bring home an A or an F, it's right. my response your value. is the same. It didn't change your value. I mean, it did change how I'll ground you. Well, <laughs> it may change <laughs> yeah. what your your how we Life's deal with it, how like, we pattern, but, right. But we've got to start teaching them that mistakes don't change your value. And yeah. After you get the language in your home going, the kids pick up on it pretty quick. Yeah, they the like it. The other day I dropped a plate, shattered it all over the kitchen, and somebody five rooms away yelled, didn't change your value, mom, because <laughs> they heard it, That's right? That's so great. They, they start to get it, and and it's changing the principle. Yeah, that's, that's across the board for all human beings that actually will make you start to believe you're enough and, and it'll start to sink in. If you do that, that's, that's the number one thing that would actually help your relationship. Now, one other, Matt, is I, I tell my clients, I want you to imagine your spouse is gone. You're now on your own. Yep. What would you do to create a life that you would love to live? What would you do with your time that yeah. you now had? And they always tell me, oh, my gosh, I'd learn to paint tonight. I'd start exercising more and I'd eat healthier. I'd do all this stuff. Well, why aren't you doing that now? Right. Because you need to create a life you're happy with yourself living and not make it just your spouse's job to make you happy. So true. Create that life and you'll have joy. That is so great. And then um, – that, and that's something you can be doing right now. Be living it right now. And, and I guess, too, putting the emphasis on you, it just seems like it's more empowering. Then it's so hopeless to try to have someone else change for you. Well, you have no control over them, yeah. but you got a lot of control. This has so much more hope. Yeah, over you. That's cool. For sure. See? So, Matt, if people want to learn more about this. What do they do? We want them all to go to 12shapes.com. Okay. And we've got tons of resources on that pound website. Pound per pound, more resources per pound yeah, than lots any of other free, source. Lots of free stuff. So, And um, then they can fill out assessments. They can get into it and start identifying them and who they are and their, and their partner because you have um, shapes that you give them. Yes, we have a personality test yeah, that cool. if you and your spouse both take, you find out which shape you both are. And we've got a relationship radio show that cool. is a lot of fun to teach you how I to bet get with along you better. Two together, that's crazy. It's kind of a riot. Out of control. <laughs> it's a lot of laughing. Well, you're the best. Uh, Kim Giles is her name. You're going to need to go to her website, 12 Shapes. Is that what it's called? 12shapes.com. 12shapes.com is a great place to begin that. Kim Giles, uh, you can find out all of her blogs, her writings, her books, everything she's got there. Kim, thanks. Thanks for having Take me, Take care Matt. of yourself. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll continue the journey. Uh, we'll have our good friends from BYU Sports Nation up next. Welcome back, friends. Yes, that is uh, NCAA tournament music. 
<laughs> nothing, nothing says the big tournament that that music does. Uh, hey, let's go to our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show. Spencer and Jerome. Hello, Jer- Spencer and Jerome. Hello, gentlemen. Did you just call him Jerome? I'm used to being Spencer called Jerome. Spencer and Jerome. <laughs> I'm used to being called Jerome. You know what, Jerome, by the you. way, I have thought about you all weekend because wasn't it you that said that the NCAA tournament is the greatest tournament of all tournaments? Of all sports, yeah. This is it, and it's it happening. Was- it was great, right? The, this weekend delivered, and it always does. I Amazing. mean, there's some years that are chalkier than others, meaning the higher seeds went out. Yeah. When, though? Like, that's the thing. Like, the trend is it's becoming less and less chalky. Chalky yeah, it was, is It a depends great on word. the region, too. Like, the East region is pretty chalky. But it was great. You had Loyola Chicago and sister Jean, 92-year-old, <laughs> yes. uh, you know, with that team, and she's great. And UMBC, the first 16 to beat a one ever. Unbelievable. It was awesome to see that, and it wasn't even close. Not even Buzzer 20 beaters points. from Michigan and company. It was, it was, uh, Xavier goes down another one seed. I mean, it was, it was just a great weekend of upsets. How's your bracket? Terrible. Mine's awesome. Not to brag. Yeah. Well, it, I was going to say, typically people that don't know get? anything about sports yeah. win. So. Oh, hold, 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 hold it. What do you mean by that? I'm kidding. I've got a great bracket. I've got like, uh, I think eight or nine of the sweet. No, 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 no. Nine of the sweet 16. That's teams. actually pretty good, Matt. I'm in the pretty top good. 150. Nine is solid. 99%, 150,000 is where I am, not to brag. Yeah, considering what brag, has happened, nine out of sixteen, yeah. really good. Yeah, really. Good. I'm t- especially it, it, it's I'm because, in the forty fourth percentile. So that's exciting. Well, and my other one, I'm in the three. I'm in the three percentile. Your other one, point uh, zero one three. Of those guys. Okay. Yeah. I just have. I just have twelve. My nephew has fifty brackets entered. Really, fifty different ones. Like he just fifty picked. separate brackets entered. Does your wow. nephew have a job? He does. He works at a bank. He's a genius, actually. He's, so <laughs> he's yeah. He's apparently also got a really big hobby. Nothing well, he, wrong with that. He loves uh, deduction and statistics and math. And I think he said my thirty ninth bracket is actually really close. <laughs> like Mason, you know which bracket is closest? Of the that is amazing. Oh my goodness, that's cool. Yeah, I remember last week I had to fill them in at the last minute right after the show. I just filled two out and lucked out totally on one. Nice. So what do you guys uh, – do you just spend all weekend watching that or do you still talk to your family? Do you shut down during this time of year? Oh, no. Like uh, it was my first day off over the weekend and it felt like in a little while. So basketball was going in the background as I was completing a very, very lengthy list of things to do around the house. Honeydews. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yes. What uh, what was the top of the list so we can all know? At the top of the list, clean the toilets. <laughs> really? Had a boy. I mean, if you're going to mess them up, you may as well clean them. Oh, yeah. You yes. Know, I mean that in the best way possible. <laughs> so uh, what's coming up on your show today? You guys are going to still do your show today, right? I can't believe you're still asking that question. I just don't know what else to ask sometimes. We're over 1,200 shows into this, Matt. I know. You're getting good at it. <laughs> yeah. I, I hope, hope so. so. <laughs> I hope so. It's like you're here to stay now. If not, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's funny that you ask, Matt, uh, because we do have a loaded Monday show, including how the madness affects BYU directly, or does it at all? Huh. And how Gonzaga <gasps> plays into that. Gonzaga. Yeah. 
Should BYU quarterbacks be tackled in spring? Yes. And does the new offense need a nickname? No. We'll discuss that. <laughs> well, apparently we're not anymore. I guess we're done talking about that. Yeah. Plus, Kyle Collinsworth gets his first NBA start. And Jacob Hanneman, former BYU baseball player, goes yard for the Chicago Cubs. The Cubs! And the men's volleyball video dance video you have to see. Oh, outstanding, Matt. So what? if you can tune in or jump on Twitter, that'd be great. You can go to at BYU Volleyball. They tweeted it out. Uh, between the Lines uh, challenged them, apparently. And they came up with an incredible choreographed dance, four of them, on the men's volleyball team. I can hardly that wait. That you have to see. That will be up in a few minutes. News anchor intonation. <laughs> That's really good, guys. Yes. Isn't it, though? Yes. ESPN. Isn't it? Okay. Here's a question for you. Okay. So who's going to win the tournament? Villanova. Okay, so if you had to choose between Villanova and my team, Kansas, you're going with Villanova. Yes. Why? Because they're monsters and they're amazing or because... They're all that's left. Well, because Kansas is typically... Poof, ho, ho, ho. They're all over the map. Are they? Yeah, they're they're not as consistent as some other NCAA tournament teams. They need Derek Rose to miss free throws to win titles. And Mar- and uh, Mario Chalmers to hit a crazy shot to tie the game and send it to overtime. Yeah. yeah. If Derek Rose hits free throws. The game's over. No, like, in the Michigan game, if the dude for Houston makes two free throws, four makes- game, it's over. Game over. Or it's a tie game, they go to OT. Yeah. Make free make, make throws. Make free throws. They're so free. Oh. They're free. There's not too, many, for that kid. not too many things are free. Those are free. Th- those are, in fact, they're even... Just they're, throw they're, it. They're called that, right? Just throw it. Yeah. One-handed, football style, boom. Sweet 16. Do, do you guys ever get tired of all the sports? We're 1,200 shows into this. We're not going to tell you if we do. Nope. Because it's like, it, it never ends for you two. It's That's just, the beauty of it. That's yeah. why we have a job. That's true, huh? Yeah. It's totally true. It's sustaining. And good for you. <laughs> it's like a, it's like cereal. Nutritious and delicious. <laughs> Thank you, Lispy. Okay, well, guys, knock them dead. Have a great show, as I know you will. Man, I'm overwhelmed with sports because like, I can't even keep all the storylines straight. Jeff, you didn't even watch any of the sports. No, which, according to them, means I would do quite well on my bracket. You should you should have tried a bracket with me next time. We I should have. Next time we'll try a bracket, and um, I'll show you how to do it right. Well, I know this is a bit early for a tease, but we're going to be doing a bracket of sorts on Friday's screen cleaning show. What's the bracket? I, I'm not going to tell you. So you, it's a tease. It's a tease, but don't you want to tease us so we come back? No. Because now we don't even know what the bracket's going to be on. Yeah. Okay. Well, Just a little taste. Just a little taste. Well, that's good stuff. Um, let's get to our hero story then. How about that? Uh, the hero is uh, uh, Catherine Yombik was on board Spirit Airlines Flight 801 waiting for departure from Detroit Metro Airport Tuesday morning when she heard someone yell out to call 911. A man had collapsed on the plane. Yombik, a nurse from Michigan, was one of the first passengers to answer the call for help. Someone said, call 911, and we went back, and the guy is unresponsive, had no pulse, so we pulled him out of his chair and started CPR, Yombik said. Passenger Jeff Kruger, 
who had just taken a CPR class two weeks earlier, helped lift the man to the floor. As I went to start compressions, there's an EMT yelling, who came Who came forward? So my response was to get a defibrillator to the gentleman as quickly as possible. Yambik said she performed CPR, no pulse. So we did CPR for a couple of minutes, Yambik said. Uh, Sue Niehaus, also a nurse, used the automated external defibrillator on the man. It just comes natural to you. I got to say, people just need to keep loving each other. The man was revived almost instantly. Members of the Capusano family from Ontario, Canada, who were on board the plane, said the passengers remained calm and cheered as the man was taken off the plane in Detroit uh, t- uh, on a stretcher. The defibrillator um, brought him back and everyone started clapping. 11-year-old Nina Capusano said, I think it's really important to do what you can, even if you're not a medical professional, to try and help someone because it's better thing to do. It's really nice. Kruger said the nurses and the EMT who volunteered to help didn't hesitate for a second. It's absolutely the right thing to do, Kruger said. You have a chance to continue life, and this is the only life that we have. How can you not? So congratulations to Catherine Yombik and all those that assisted her. Those are heroes, folks. That's what it takes. Just step up, and then let's just listen to the words of the 11-year-old Nina who said, just do what you can. You don't have to be perfect. Just do what you can. Everybody step in because it's just the nice thing to do. And that's the show. This is uh, We do what we can every day to help you uh, live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. We'll be back again tomorrow to give you more ideas and, uh, and hopefully a little hope that life is good. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. BYU Sports Nation is up next. 